Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good evening and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm Travis Dow and today I wanted to take a look at Zambia from a specific angle. Well, from the general history and culture and whatever I can find out about it. But also kind of, uh, I happen to, to know somebody where I can get an insider scoop on at least kind of one aspect I was very curious about, which is what would it be like living in the white community in uh, Africa? What, what does that look like? Um, and then otherwise, just anything else he came across, any stories he's got. And so today on the show, I got Benjamin Snow, who might very soon have his own podcast out and is trying to kind of get his uh, audio recording chops. So that's one reason we, we got him here. Another reason is he's the discoverer of Imad. You guys know Imad, our beloved Imad. Uh, he's the one that, that translates the history of Germany to, in, into Arabic and does the history of Germany in Arabic. And yeah, he's the, you know, kind of, I don't, I don't remember who actually reached out to me first, but um, they both kind of did at the same time. And, and um, so, yeah, that's, that's very cool that that all kind of worked out. Um, Don't let me forget. I'll, I'll ask about that. In any case, we got Ben here. So Ben, welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here. Uh, before we get to, I do, I am curious about actually like Imad and this and that. May I, I think you guys just met online, and maybe, maybe that's that. Um, you, you haven't been to yeah. Cairo, have you? Oh no. Okay, so um, in any case, you know, I'll have Imad on the show very soon. Probably the next couple episodes will be Imad, so I'll ask him about that too. He can tell us more. Um, but you did live in Africa for a while, namely Zambia, and. Um, well, yeah. So w- when when was that? How long did you live there? Tell tell us tell us about that for a little bit. Yeah. Well, I left in February of 2015. Uh, had three months of trading near the capital. Uh, a lot of the people were learning lang- other languages than mine. I was learning Bemba, the most common language in Zambia. Other people couldn't even find native speakers of the languages they were learning because they were from more distant parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, then after three months, I went to a village in uh, Makushi District of Central Province. Uh, when I was there, I was living in a vi- in a small village called Meloso, which you actually can't find on Google Maps. What's a small village, though? How many can you? Uh, I couldn't tell you exactly where what to call the village itself. Uh, there were nine different headmen, uh, with a okay. total of nine thousand people in the larger area. I could see the whole market area, all the shops, and the elementary school from like. 
one spot by one of the pumps. So kind of uh, just a crossroads and not yeah. much more. Not even a crossroads. The main road coming in. A wide, and, uh, okay, a wide spot in the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember a Department of Forestry worker come in and he got stuck on a motorbike because the road was sand. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. So not yeah, not even a not even a e- easy yeah. road to travel yes. down. Now, how long were you there? I might have already asked you that. I already, I already know this information, but how yeah. long were you in yeah. that village for? Uh, I was in the village for two years. Okay. Now, I, I, let, then, me, let me back up for oh. just one second and kind of tell people because I don't know where people are coming from. Maybe they tuned in because Zambia is in the title. Maybe maybe people have no idea where and what Zambia is. And just to give a really quick definition um, to orient you on a map. Um, it's, it's kind of South Central Africa. It's, it's North of Botswana, which I've talked about on Africa history. And, you know, I might play that episode, uh, here in the next, next couple episodes because it's that, that same region. So we are talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of our, at least like archeological evidence of like humans living there in some, in some way. In another way, just the last 300 years have probably shaped what you would see today, you know, but, um, so just so we know, like there's, okay, it's landlocked. It's surrounded by eight countries or so and that's really so that's one of the reasons i wanted to talk about it's the same reason i want to talk about botswana in a way is like um by being landlocked that means a couple of things just historically and uh versus the relationship that they might have with the british if they were on the coast let you know let me just put it that way for now yeah what i was really curious about is they're bordering the congo they're bordering like all these other areas that might have had um, war zones and strife throughout the years. There must be refugees uh, coming into Zambia from, from uh, certain periods. So now, so let's see. I mean, do you want to talk about the how much of the history do you know? Do you want to talk about? I, yeah. I'm kind of curious about, before we get into the tribes, I looked up a couple of things. I don't know how much you, you probably know, 10 times more than I do. But if we just look at, like, the political boundaries, it is it is kind of... Um, it definitely was a, a British colony at some point. Uh, before that, it was kind of surrounded by Portuguese on the coasts and, and this and that. Yeah, what, what, what do you think is kind of interesting about, I don't know, where would you start with describing Z- well, Zambia's history? Like, independence? Um, would you go to... Uh, to understand the history of Zambia as its modern state, I'd say you'd have to go back to uh, probably David Livingston. Uh, he's the first British person to come through. Did he... Did he die there in Zambia? Yes. Or, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I only, saw, yeah. then Then they brought his body to, because I know this, because I was in Zanzibar, and there was a, they had a crucifix made out of something from Livingston's something, or, or something he had in his position, possession or something, and they, so his body came through uh, Zanzibar or Dar es Salaam or something, you know, in, in Tanzania, and then I think he's now like laid to rest in England. I believe, yeah. but he died in Zambia, right? Yes, yeah. and not only that, but I have been to the place where he died. Uh, okay. Uh, one of my friends uh, li- uh, was in a village nearby. The uh, place he died is believed to be what is now the Chitambo District Hospital. And uh, we, the American oh. presence, uh, government actually has a presence there. There is a huge clinic there that's part of PEPFAR, the President's Initiative on HIV, that mm-hmm. has crossed Zambian and American flags on it. And is giving out antiretrovirals. Interesting, yeah. So you can still kind of track that history a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't want to start off saying the uh, the history of an African nation started yeah. with a white guy walking yeah. through it. But yes. honestly, like, yeah, I mean, if you read Wikipedia, it's going to start with, 
you're not yeah, yeah Livingston was like yes. central he's the first person that really I believe he traveled most of Zambia in a way like he really kind of sure. did the whole loop and that's the first notion we have of the country as a place as anything other than a white spot on the map which is the exactly the kind of thing I want to avoid when talking about it but oh, yeah. um oh um, no I mean but, but, I meant but was no, you're absolutely his... right. Like that, yeah, it would be stupid not to. Like that's the, oh, some yeah. of the very first written records, like anthropological sort of take on uh, the peoples and the geography in any language by anyone was Dr. Livingston. So hey, you know yeah. that, that's what we have. Yes. Um, and so well, so and... another you know celebrating another Brit, yay! But you know, yeah, for sure. And well, the his and as far as explorers go, he was definitely one of the better ones. His goal was to eliminate the slave trade. Exactly. Yep. Uh, but, That's one of the reasons I think he's yeah. still kind of um, celebrated as some sort of hero in Tanzania because um, he wasn't definitely wasn't just like a colonialist that was super greedy. He was much more of an explorer. And yeah, and he would walk out into the bush with a Bible and a change of clothes. And he and he, uh, at least the stories say, he personally stood up to slave traders and other explorers going through the area later who went through there as he traveled through, would sometimes meet locals who'd say, yes, I met David Livingston. He saved my children from slave traders. So if anything, it was just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah he, he was a good yeah. person even by local standards. Yeah. So in but, that regard, so that yeah. kind of brings me to the next point because David Livingston, you, you explorer, but he's also definitely a missionary. Um, so does, does that, like, when I, that's my own experience, that maybe, you know, my culture shock because I knew... Uh, I like to think I'm not ignorant. <laughs> you know, I like to like I'm really interested in geography and history and all that stuff. But when I did finally go to like Kenya, um, I saw one of the things that did surprise me was just like how much of the education system is actually schools completely set up, funded by and owned by some missionary, some church in the U.S. normally or, or U.K. maybe. Um, but normally it's, you know, an American church or religious organization setting up a primary school and kind of an orphanage and so on and so forth. Were you there by on the Peace Corps? What what were you yes. doing there? Is that okay? okay. Uh, yeah, so I was going to ask like um, it wasn't like missionary work per se or like uh, any sort of religious organization that sent you over because now there's there's two different things. There's a lot of missionaries they they don't end up like preaching. They go there to build stuff or to teach stuff. And yeah, it's going to have a religious slant. And I don't know how I feel about that, you know, because I feel like the local culture gets lost. But a lot of people well, like their hearts in the right place, and the money yeah. happens to come from churches. Yeah. You know what are you going to do? Turn it down? No, you know no. But then there, then there's the Peace Corps that comes in, and the Peace Corps gets blamed for this and that. You know, but um, let's let's just you know it, it's a great thing. They do a lot of good. Yeah, maybe let's let's start there. What was? Why even did you go other places? I kind I'm kind of curious about that too. Or was this like a one time? Uh, they sent you to Zambia, and that was your experience at the Peace Corps, and then just sent to Zambia. They well, what I wanted to do was aquaculture, and yeah. Zambia was one of only a few countries that do agriculture. The other one was Sierra Leone, and they got shut down because of Ebola. Yeah, one of my uh, friends was actually there when the Ebola struck and had to get pulled out and then got sent to Zambia afterwards. But kind uh, of, you, can, you, you yeah. have an adventurous streak in you, yeah. too, want to go yes. travel and oh. see stuff. So they send you to a training program for three months or so in the capital. Yeah. First impression was Lusaka, the, the capital. Mm-hmm. I was very well developed. When you go to a mall there, it's almost like being back in America, except with uh, South African uh, chains instead of American chains. 
what do they tell tourists or are there tourists? Is it really only people that get assigned to Peace Corps? What's that? What's the expat yeah. community like, I guess, is what I'm asking. Uh, the expat community is largely miners and uh, former white Zimbabweans. At yeah. one point, at one point, as uh, Rhodesia was turning into Zimbabwe, yep. the president of Zambia offered uh, asylum to any white Zimbabweans who wanted to move to Zambia and start farming and grow and raising products that would be used within Zambia. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Yes. I suspect part of it was that that would simultaneously help Zambia develop their economy mm-hmm. and then reduce, hopefully reduce some instability inside of Zimbabwe. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's interesting. Most, yeah. But as far as tourists go, uh, most of the, most, as far as I can tell, go to either to Lake Tanganyika in the North mm-hmm. or Livingston, which yep. is the, uh, Zambian side of Victoria Falls. Yeah. Uh, down south but it sounds like yeah you never you know is there some common sense thing like don't go here at night or don't go here alone or is it really just like yeah it's fine um yeah the biggest thing i heard was that there were some attacks against white ish women in uh, kapalanga which is a neighborhood in the capital near where the peace corps uh, main office is and i i ended up there after dark now a few times i always felt safe yeah. Any Peace Corps staff are listening, <laughs> you can't do anything about it now. <laughs> and I was in a group. We did go sometimes go to nightclubs uh, after dark. Never felt unsafe. Okay. Yeah, it's probably just, you know, common sense thing. Like, I, I mean, I live in the Czech Republic where it's like if you get too drunk and you, you start yelling English across the street, like, you read, you know, you read online like, oh, my goodness, I was, you know, beaten senseless and woke up with nothing. And I was like, yeah, but you were like... 10 vodkas in and yelling to your buddy like 50 yards away. <laughs> that's on you, man. You know, that's totally on you. Like there's just Zambians generally aren't very violent people. I haven't gotten a violent vibe. In from fact, you. yeah, let's that's kind of a neat transitional point. Um, that's kind of the sense I got what I was reading. And uh, so there's like what half dozen nine ish or so major tribes, like another 75 minor tribes. Um, but what I read and I'll let you jump in and, and, you know, tell me what you know, but what I read is like, they, they kind of, it's all within the last 300 years that you can start to see the, that these two groups came down from Congo and this and that. Some moved up from Botswana. Um, and the thing is that there's still so 50% of the population is so urban that that means the the rest of the country is still pretty empty to where you're not competing for resources that much between tri- like there's plenty of space between tribal boundaries and there's a little bit of roasting and mocking and uh good humor between tribes but also you know no warfare a lot of intermarriage and um i i can especially imagine in the cities you know it, yeah. like you know what how how does like tribal life play in or you know can you even tell from a distance like hey do you have to ask people or do they talk about it or yes. you know what's that like yeah you have to ask people what their tribes are i think i i think you can sort of tell by accent sometimes i think oh, i could recognize sense. yeah okay. i think i could recognize a lozi accent because they're not bantu speak their language is right. mostly not a bantu language did you have to learn yeah was languages part of it did you learn anything yes yeah. Yes. The uh, biggest thing we were learning was our local languages. Um, so which were those? What did uh, you have big, to kind of pick yeah. up on? 
I learned Bemba, the biggest one. Okay. And uh, when I arrived, I learned that in the uh, Lala dialect, which is the area I was speaking, a lot of the words are actually uh, same as Nyanja words, not the Bemba words we were taught. Can you just give me, like, what are we talking here? Can you just give me, a, do you remember any of it? Can you just be like, hi, how yes. are you? Or just give me a couple of sentences, yeah. something? Mulishani, uh, uh, basic, how are you? Yeah, uh, okay. Then uh, in Nyanja, that would be Mulibwanji. Uh, they're, they're tribal cousins. They're, yeah. they're the ones who joke about each other the most. So, so good morning. Uh, in Bemba, that's Mwasha uh, Bikini or Mwasha Bikini Makwai. Makwai is just kind of a general showing respect when you're giving a greeting. Yeah, okay. Uh, like, good Tonga, morning, sir, yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 cool. Yeah. More or less. In yeah, Tonga, yeah. would be Mwabukabuti. The Tonga response was uh, would be Kabutu. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I'm okay. I'm doing well. Something come with you, huh? But I think, I think the uh, Bemba response, I think that would have been uh, Bueno, just good, because it literally translates to, how did you wake? Okay, yeah. So maybe even and, a little bit of Portuguese words in now, now and then, depending it's, on... It's uh, not a coincidence that Portuguese it, yeah. is about Zambia. Bemba words for, word for shoe is in sapato. Right, yep. Uh, and after I left Zambia, I went and visited Sri Lanka. It's the same word there, too. That's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, Swahili, too, is like a trade language that. So, but yeah. is that also a, so the, the court language, like if you get arrested and have to go take care of a ticket in the capital or anything like that, is that, is that administrative language English? Or do they have another, or do they, do they use Bemba or what's that? Yes. Like all of the above? All the paperwork would be done in English. Uh, it's actually so pervasive that in my in my village, most of the shops had their names in Eng- written out in English. Okay. Uh, couple were in Bemba, and when I che- when I did mosquito net uh, net checks with the mosquito control agent, he took his notes in English, and he was he spoke fluent English, but not perfect English. That really is interesting because in yeah yeah because you know we're talking about British colonies here in a way or former British colonies in a way, but um, in Kenya and Tanzania I just didn't. Uh, they both, of course, they both have English as an administrative language, but um, Swahili was the language that they pushed. Um, like German colonists, you know, Germans are like they're not going to learn German, are they? So they made them learn Swahili yeah. instead, and that just—it's also kind of a more natural language. It's much more uh, with the local dialects and you know some of the tribal languages that come up. So that's kind of interesting that this is way more uh, similar to like South Africa. Some, you know, it's just much yeah. more of an English. Um, at that upper administrative layer, I guess. And then, yeah. but so in Kenya, you would see, uh, uh, I'm, you know, if you go to like a Samburo or like Maasai tribal village, normally like the chief's son will go to the missionary school and learn English and the other 25 children will not. And then, may, you know, ideally the chief's son comes back and teaches them what they what he learned, but it's like secondhand English uh, learning. And that means that really only like one in 25 even has the chance to like, be a lawyer from you know from like tribal village because there's also cities and then that's a totally different thing but if but if you're like Maasai you have to first kind of at the county level learn Swahili to talk to the other guys and then learn English to do anything else even uh, talk to a police officer I felt like you know there's like several layers of if you got sued over land rights you're two languages away from the other person and that's just like an issue Uh, um, and yeah so you know 
it's interesting that other places are just like, no, this kind of uh, education is, is more prevalent or more evenly spread. And I think part of it is just like it's it's much more urban. I was surprised how urban Zambia was, I suppose. Yeah, yeah um, which I didn't experience much. Uh, the only right. volunteers yeah. in an urban area are uh, the volunteers doing something specific, and they usually do that after they served yeah, the first two years, and going back for another year. Then there's some admin or IT guy yeah. or something that's like, okay, run the server and you know on site or something. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's actually that's Zambian staff who do that. Oh um, right, okay. Yeah, the extension those are yeah. extension volunteers. So like some who uh, try to prevent child uh, morta- uh, mother maternal deaths uh, right. in the major towns. Okay. Uh, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. The one the one in my provincial capital had served in Guatemala. Okay. Yeah. Beforehand. Then the, the person who was in charge of the malaria program, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Now now obviously I I kinda wanna just like I mean I, I have a picture in my mind, I suppose, you know, just by default of places that I might compare it to, but um otherwise, you know, I really want to go through the whole gambit of like what was that what was tribal life like? What was um, village life like? And I guess my, my first question is like, if I just showed up there, what's the first thing or what's what's something that would really strike me as odd? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what's unexpected maybe? Let's start there. Yeah. Um, the most unexpected thing would just be how little time people spend in their houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Zambians sleep there and store stuff in their houses, but... Outside of that, they do not, unless they have a particularly nice house, like my host family actually did, and yeah. they had a tin, they had a tin roof and a TV. It's unusual, but most other people spend most of their time outside, uh, yeah. frequently, vi- frequently visiting others. Uh, the headman yep. in my village always had fifteen or twenty people in his yard. Interesting, yeah. Reminds me of my my high school and college days, honestly, but much more social life, much like way more. Uh, how, how was, um, you know, stupid question, but like water, electricity, uh, the, the internet, how was that compared to, uh, well, um, uh, my house had no electricity except, uh, for what, what I could get from, from, uh, solar panels. Okay. Uh, plug sun Kings here. They are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's both a light and a and a phone charger, uh, that plugs into a solar panel. And I was able to charge to uh, charge my Samsung about halfway with one of them. Really? Just ha- okay. And then, oh, wow, really? So then you and, have to like be careful. Oh wow, okay. Or you yeah. need two of them. To- <laughs> yeah, I did. I had two of them plus an extra solar panel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then mo- then a lot of the households would have a larger solar panel. Yeah. And Zim and villagers had this crazy ability to wire stuff. I've been hooked stuff up to electricity. I bet, yeah, it's, that's yeah. I mean, I was always, I was always impressed by it. And what about, but water was running water to all the houses, or it was a kind of nope. did you have to go somewhere? Okay, uh, did you have to go somewhere got, to get a to a tap, or was it even kind of worse than that? I went to a river. Uh, right. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Makushi, Makushi River. Uh, it also shows up on Google Maps, by the way. So how but, how is that as, as in terms of like uh, like safety? Do you have to like purify that in any way? Yes, I treat it with chlorine, then run it through a filter. No kidding. Uh, okay. Yep. And one and in my first and in my first two weeks in the village, 
I was impatient. Tried to look in the bottom. One little drop of water spilled from the top and the bottom. And thought, how bad could it be? And I came down with Giardia for two weeks. <laughs> Ouch. Whoa, yeah. yeah. And I was sick enough that I went to a funeral for the headman's granddaughter, who tragically died of a disease, I think malaria. And the headman asked me if I was okay when I showed up. Wow, yeah. The river there was about 300 meters from my house. Uh, but there are but there are two uh, two pumps. Uh, they're both about two and a half kilometers away. So mile and a half, right? Mm-hmm, for, Amer- mm-hmm. for American listeners. And I only went there when the ri- right after the rains when the river was too muddy to drink out of. Okay. Wow. But that was a hike then. I mean, that was like, yeah. yeah. It was to, a if- bike ride. Well, okay. Okay. I don't know if you have to lug bike, uh, yeah. lug water back, that's rough. Yeah. But okay. Yes. Intra- yeah, that's something, you know, you know, it's a chore to get water uh, yeah. kind of thing. Something you have to think ahead of like, oh, I might be thirsty tomorrow before I, you know, before I turn in. I have to kind of think about, do I have, do I have water here? Yeah, um, but some of my Peace, a lot of my Peace Corps friends, by contrast, had wells right next to their houses. Uh-huh. That's kind of a probability was, thing. Yeah. It kind of yeah. depends on where you get sent. Um yeah. Now in that, okay, there's a couple of questions, because you just mentioned, you know, I can't get this out of my head. I, I got to ask you about, um, you just mentioned like uh, a funeral, and I kind of want to talk about, are there some, you know, traditions? How did they, how did they celebrate um, something like Independence Day or Christmas or, you know, whatever religious holidays they might have? Um, and then the other thing is, is um, as part of that, as part of the, the traditions, as part of the village life, where do you do you see any like clear British colonial influence still, um, or is it all? I mean, not like a gas station. I mean, like that might have its local flair, but um, where where did you see something and you're just like, oh, that's that's oddly British, or that comes from that? All the snack food you see in gas stations is from the British Empire. Yeah. A lot of samosas made made with uh, meat. Yeah. Uh, during training, uh, we'd often take tea breaks with very British snacks for tea. Right. So even that part of, okay, so like eating that part of culture stuck around a little bit, a little uh, bit of the food but, and all that. Yeah. But um, that was in the towns, in the villages. Uh, main food is, uh, I was told, Ubuali for official Bemba and then Nshima for Nyanja. Uh, mm-hmm. If it sounds like Ugali, it's the same thing. It's made by mixing corn flour with water and mm-hmm. then stirring for a while. Uh, Zambian men were all, were generally, it, confused as to how women manage to do that really at least yeah. like selective yeah. incompetence like i don't know you stir it i i, I can't do that oh but. beyond that many just um, said, how'd you do it crazy huh and sometimes uh before europeans started trading in africa uh that was usually used made with millet uh but yeah. after after contact they started using uh corn or corn, maize yeah. for our non-american listeners Mm-hmm. and uh, cassava, both mm-hmm. of which come from the Americas. Mm-hmm. And uh, cassava was such a useful crop that the population of Africa actually increased during the slave trade because it would grow oh, after, no it would grow after yeah. droughts. So after, right. if there was a drought, they'd have some, something would survive, and there wouldn't be a famine. If there was a flood, it would also survive, and there still wouldn't be a famine. It's just hardy. Yeah, cassava, yeah. it's like a, it's yucca. It's like a big, big, long spud, big, long potato. Yes. And you can make french fries out of them and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that you often see sold by the side. Yeah. yeah. 
Yes. I often saw it for sale as a snack by the side of the road. I didn't actually see many people eating it. Of course, I didn't see many people eating. Uh, but I didn't actually see it eaten that much inside the village, except in the marketplace. Yeah. And what about what about celebrations? So what uh, what is like a wedding like? I, I have some ideas from tribes in like Kenya, etc. But how long is it even? Is it like longer than a day kind of thing? And, you know, what happens? Did you did you see any uh, like what kind of celebrations did you see? I should ask, really? Like, yeah, uh, actually, I didn't see that many celebrations. Uh, what about like holidays? Do they have their do they celebrate their Independence Day or religious yeah. holidays or anything like um, that? Yeah, the same basic holidays as you'd find in America, just uh, the Independence Day, I think that was then uh, October 24th, and then just Christmas, uh, Easter, New Year's. Uh, how many Muslims, there are some Muslims in Zambia, I know, but I don't know if it's uh, way less of a, it must be a minority compared to like Tanzania, I assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, num- the number uh, what, of Muslims. What about like Christians versus like the old kind of like animistic, um, you know, sort of tribal religions and stuff? Is yeah. that is what is the majority of people? I guess are there kind of uh, the majority of people are Christians, very, very Christians. Really? Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, but there's interesting. If actually. you're looking okay. for it, if you're looking for it, you can see the influence of uh, the old yep. religion and things close to religion. Uh, there's still a strong belief in witchcraft in rural areas. Um, right. There's yeah. some around me. Uh, it's my understanding it's really strong am- among the Lunda tribe. Okay. Uh, but yeah. I don't actually know what it is. It was something I'd hear ex- people express fear of it, but I didn't really want to probe too closely into it because you it were... is taboo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even like... Um... Yeah, it's one right. thing to be like, oh, well, are there charms or something I can do again? You know, yeah. you might just see that, like, oh, they got evil eye wards or yeah. something. On yes. the other hand, you don't want to, like, yeah, you know, it's probably a vague notion of what to actually, you yeah. know, like, it yeah. just depends. I, like, I, I've come across that in other cultures yeah. where it's like, yeah. well, are there, you know, it's just like it's suspected witchcraft or a way to describe yeah. things happening, even sickness or something. Um but yeah, to actually main, cause yeah. it, like, how do I cast a spell on somebody? That's like, oh, whoa, sh-, you know, we don't talk about that, yes. you know. Yes, so. the uh, the main thing I saw was sometimes, especially women, but not always women, have three scars on their forehead. Okay. Yeah. Roughly from the, of, above the middle of their eyes and one in between the two. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that can mean anything. It can be uh, trying to summon healing, trying to mark something important. Okay, and is, do you see that in one tribe more than another, or is it really you just? I have no idea. I don't think I don't think anyone in my village had it, but it, there were people in town okay. who did. But the uh, missionaries very early on said that white people cannot do magic or be affected by it, so I was really outside of it. Really, you can't be affected. Well, I think the biggest part is that uh, you also have to be related to somebody to do magic on them. So I was friends with oh. one of the shopkeepers who was from, from Southern Province, and he said that he's not afraid of witchcraft because he's never met anyone in the village. That is so... It, I just find that, like, that's the most hilarious. Like, just move yeah. far away from your family and you're good to go. Yeah. Which, that's kind of like banishment. And was it kind of a tight family, um, you know, like extended family? I Because in a village, I imagine, there are a lot of people that don't move far away, kind of just 
you know, oh, yeah. kids moving down the street, et cetera. Is that, is that oh, accurate? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I mean, the population's increased a lot mm-hmm. uh, since they got basic medical care, you know, I heard, treating, yeah, treating malaria, uh, what stopping it, diarrhea. It's like 10, 10 million ideas. people ballpark. Is that way mm-hmm. off? I think it's I think it's more like twelve or fifteen now okay. actually, but it was two and a half million at Independence. Right. Yeah. Which Independence yeah. was like nineteen sixty nineteen sixty four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> okay. Let's talk at like pop culture, movies, and film. Even in the let's say to the village because that maybe that's the more authentic Zambian experience in my mind. I don't know. Um, but but if they turn on a radio, they're is there radios? Are people hearing yes. music? And oh, yeah. You mentioned the guy had a TV and this and that. So what are they listening to? Is it, uh, does some Indian music come over? Is it all uh, Britney Spears? Well, I don't know who the, the newest, is it Drake or whatever? Or is it, um, uh, is it some local well, stuff too? Is it, you know? Yeah, there's definitely local stuff. Um, cool, yeah. I, I swear I just kept on hearing the same six song, songs on repeat when my host family was Fair was, enough. Uh, That's how you know, I feel the same way about American music a lot of times. Yeah. But yeah okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you also hear American songs. Uh, every now and then I heard La- I heard Lady Gaga come on. There you go. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. Yes. Uh, hear, hearing. Can't escape uh, it. And uh, Zambians really love Justin Bieber too. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. The D- yeah, one of the DJs played him on repeat on New Year's and just, when I was in Livingston. Wow. You're just like oh. No. That's so fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and hearing uh, "Born This Way" out in the bush was quite the experience. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I can imagine some of us just kind of a little bit surreal. You're like, oh my yeah. goodness, they're not going to believe this back home. Yeah, um, and surreal, just thinking, what would everybody be thinking if they knew the meaning of of the words here? Also, yeah, if they're if they're kind of on the conservative conservative side of things, yeah. then yeah. yeah. Um, but. Uh, when they do need to do something spe- uh, more specific, uh, there are songs with definite meanings to them. The Zambian Police Service made a song about avoiding cholera. Uh, mm-hmm. That that and in it they sang both in English, Bemba, and Nyanja. It's actually pretty normal for Zambian songs. A lot of times they will use words in different languages to make them rhyme. Since okay, if, since they can, yeah. yeah I mean, since, well, and since tribal, it's a tribal language that wasn't written down until the last 200 years so there's not as many words as english yeah are there so is that ballpark so we got like seven ten major tribes or something or yeah. nine what was it yeah. um and then i don't think even zambians can count it honestly but 72 total sub tribes that must be kind of difficult. Like, where do you draw the line in some case? Kind yes. of like a di- is it a dialect, accent, language? You know. Yes. Um, I suppose, and, but yeah, and the different languages blend into each other. One of my friends was sent. She was in uh, Lamba land, and uh, Lamba was a mixture of Kayonde and Bemba, mm-hmm. and she and uh, she wasn't able to uh, understand the Lamba without knowing both languages. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so yeah. it it threw a rent monkey wrench into a into her service. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you definitely see the same thing with Bemba and Tonga and Bemba and Nyanja as well. So how many of those tribes are bordering other countries and kind of, you know, like, is there a tribe that's also partly in Congo or Tanzania? Must be, right? I mean, like, I'm just thinking, like, broadly speaking, all those lines on the map were drawn by white guys in London or something, you know? Oh, yes. And, um... 
Uh, yeah. All the tribes are in other are in other countries, um, except okay. except I think the Lozies. I think the Lozies are only in Zambia, but all the rest are in other countries. Interesting. Um, so how does yeah. that? That's kind. I don't want to jump around too much. I want to stick to the. I'm I'm more curious about what else you know about some of the tribal life and et cetera. But how does that work out in like politics and you know on the government level? Because I, I heard they're pretty peaceful. So, um, uh, well. Um, there are definitely refugees from the Congo, uh, yeah, and and Zimbabwe for that matter. Uh, one of my friends was actually in a village, so it was one third Congolese who had walked across the border. But and same, I mean, same tribe yeah. though, still. Like, yes. was it? Yeah, Bemba's, okay. Bemba's on both sides of the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It was actually on the main road going between uh, my my uh, Boma. Yeah. By the way, uh, the. The district capitals are called BOMAs. It stands for British Overseas Management Area. The Zambians still haven't changed the name. That's just their no kidding management yeah. area. Yeah. You're kidding. But when I'd move, but when I'd move between Makushi and Serenje BOMAs, the road would go within a mile of the DRC uh-huh. by okay. the yeah. arm reaching into Zambia. Mm-hmm. Uh, both sides of the border are Bemba's. The area was only part of the Congo because the Belgians made it there two weeks before the British. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I almost need like a political science major to figure out like, does that mean that there's also loyalties to, you know, where does the, where do the, like, are they proud to be Zambian or are they proud to be more proud to be Bemba where it doesn't really matter what nationality it is because half of them live in the Congo anyways, or, you know, so are there like allegiances to, you know, certain tribes really like, uh, Angola Uh, or Zimbabwe or something. I don't, you know, I'm just spitballing. By the way, by the way, I was a political science major at one point. Oh, well, there you go. So, I mean, does that, uh, you know, did, yeah, like, so I, how, like, do they all form their own parties and they're all kind of voting in their own block? I, I get the sense that no, they kind of, on the, yeah. on the national level, it's just like way yeah. beyond tribal oh, pettiness yeah. or something, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, you would, you would, you would hope so. Um, yeah. Zambia's first president, kind of like Tanzania's president, and they both said, uh, said your this country is most important the tribes are not as important uh yeah. the national motto is still one zambia one nation mm-hmm. uh, but the uh part the party that's currently in power the uh, patriotic front is predominantly supported by bembas and uh eastern tribes as ah, so there is a little bit of a split at least you know even if it's geographically yeah. that ends up being tribally yeah. too okay yeah yeah and i mean the but I mean, the tribes that fought each other before the British arrived are now tribal cousins now. Uh, whenever we'd have, whenever we'd all bring our counterparts to meetings in Lusaka, uh, the Nianjas would would always say, uh, "Are you Bembas? We're not eating monkeys here." But that's just that could be yeah. just a little bit of yeah. roasting, like just you know oh, friendly, it oh, it yeah, ribbing, is. yeah. And the Bembas would respond by saying, uh, "We don't eat, yes, and we're not eating rats here either." Unless the Bebas in questions ate all their monkeys, in which case they'd eat rats too. And I think it was it was the Tongas and I think the Kayondes. Uh, they have an even more a longer tradition. Um, when one when one of them dies at the funeral, uh, members of the other tribe will throw ashes at the uh, at the mourners and say, "Why are you crying to lighten the mood?" Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, it's interesting. That's the, so they have this like shared culture. You know, what else on the food side of things was different did you did you eat any insects for instance was that on the yeah i i ate some termites now and then it uh 
it grows down other volunteers than I did it in front of them. Uh, but they actually taste quite good. They have a kind of a nutty flavor to them. Some, something uh, you could you could get used to an acquired taste yes. maybe or if yes, you just, if you uh, had it as a kid it wouldn't bother you yeah oh yeah and the usual way of cooking them was to fry them and put a little chili powder on them mm-hmm. uh, which works which actually works out pretty well uh, there's also caterpillars uh, that people eat I once uh, visited a friend in northern province and then hitched a ride on the back of a truck using a a 50 gallon bag of caterpillars as a pillow all right yep. Uh, uh, yeah. But I, I could personally couldn't stomach the caterpillars. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I don't know about. It. Again, but, it's kind of, it's not even like how it's prepared. It might be deep fried and crispy and everything. The problem is, was. if I can tell what it was, it's still kind of like I don't know about that. Oh, it wasn't knowing what it was. I just couldn't stand the taste. But some of my friends were really into them. Really? Okay. Was there a lot of Indian food? Like I ate a lot of Indian food in Africa, and was that a? I guess. Oh it, yes. Oh yes, uh, samosas are super. Ca- are okay, I was like, maybe in a village, common, maybe it's but... a little different. Maybe that's more mm-hmm. of a. Yeah, uh... it's more in towns, but I could definitely find. I we could definitely get people to make samosas if we wanted them. I didn't see them for sale in my village very much, but I didn't go in the market every day. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's int- yeah. I just I just noticed that. I was wondering if if you came across that too, and yeah. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, I I I want to hear more about tribes um what like i don't know if you want to go like clockwise or mention some of the major ones or really anything you know about um i heard you mentioned tonga which is where where are they are are they are they also in zimbabwe um actually i think uh while i was writing this yesterday i think there's only about three hundred thousand tongas in zimbabwe okay Uh, and well over a million in and or in Zambia, so there's some in Zimbabwe, but not many. Since the Zambezi River marks the border between uh, Zambia and Zimbabwe, uh, the, there actually isn't that much overlap between the tribes and each side of it, since they couldn't really cross oh, yeah, it in okay. large numbers. I, I, I did look up um, Zambia is named after the Zambezi River, because yeah. I was interested a little bit in colonial history, of like, well, what was it before? What was it? And you see, like, oh, it was... Uh, um, Northwestern Rhodesia, northeastern Rhodesia, whatever, and then you know they sp- split into Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, now I'm looking at it. Yeah, so Zimbabwe is more straight south. Mozambique is more. Uh, yeah, I thought maybe Mozambique was straight east, but actually there's Malawi in between, which I kind of yeah. honestly yeah. forgot existed. And, I'm sorry yeah. to all those Malawi well, listeners I got. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to be so, fair. To be fair, every one of the tribes in Malawi is also in Zambia, and all the languages in Malawi are spoken in Zambia. It's a sliver of a country, yep. really, and I yeah. think, uh, so what I read was the independence movement was Malawi first, like a kind of, yes. they were the ones that, for, I, don't, I don't know exactly why, but um, they, they for some reason uh, had well, some leverage to be able to push back and be more autonomous, and then from there, uh, it kind of... Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the first tribe to start organizing for independence was the Timbuka tribe, and they are on the they are in both Zambia and Malawi. And a funny story about the Timbukas: uh, they're in eastern province where it's fairly dry, so it's not a lot of fish farming there. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of my friends was going to get sent to Timbuka land, uh, but he was just taught Nyanja because it's a standard language for eastern province, and okay. then got to his village and discovered that no one there spoke Nyanja. So we then had to go back for training in Timbuka. Peace Corps will teach uh, Zambian volunteers seven different languages, 
that some of the tribes, in particular where the uh, Bembas and the Anjas are and always have been matrilineal, uh, the chiefly power is passed down the mother's line. Mm-hmm. To this day, still, that's a... Yes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, the chiefs were mostly women before colonization. Then uh, after the missionaries arrived, it became mostly men. And now it's a mixture of the two as uh, women are getting more power back. The Tongas, and the Lundas, and uh, Lozis uh, were all patrilineal. Although mm-hmm. the Lozis, Lozis had a different system we'll get into later. And there were some tribes that, sw- that switched between the two when... Uh, when a group of outsiders took over the tribal area. But in the matrilineal tribes, uh, you, what most often happens is when a chief dies, one of his sister's sons takes over. So it's still, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so they're still in the, it's still like represented in the uh, succession somehow. Like, yeah. Yes. Crazy. Or maybe that's, and, it's almost like yeah. a balance of power. Like, okay, it won't be my son, it'll be the woman's son. Yeah. But, yes. you know. And... And part of it is because it was understood that you can never be totally sure that a man's son, man's child is, in fact, his. True. True. That's a good, yeah, that's an interesting point, in fact, yeah. Many, many times in history, that's probably been the case, so. Oh, yeah. Also, probably worth mentioning, Zambia has nine provinces. Uh, all except three of them are named after directions. Mm-hmm. And of the three that are not, there's Lusaka, the capital. And then Copper Belt and Luapula, which are both populated by Bembas, okay, primarily. Yeah. Okay, so the Copper, so that's also like, so obviously, uh, we didn't talk about this yet, but the main economic activity after independence was Copper, at least until it, the price plummeted or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was also the, like the mining region must have been. Yes, it is in Bembaland, and uh, because of that, the uh, main language, even though the main languages in town Towns is uh, Nyanja. The main language in the mining area in the mines is Bemba in English. Interesting, yeah. Is, is there any Swahili spoken in the border region with Tanzania? Uh, according to according to the map that was hanging in our house and that I just sent you, yes. Otherwise, um, yeah. I was kind of wondering. Like I see, uh, I see there's like a Tabwa tribe, and ignoring the parts that say Swahili, I was wondering like that is close enough to Tanzania that if they share. But even then, the tribes in Tanzania don't all speak Swahili. It's, you know, that's the yeah. common language. So, Yes, yeah, and I talked to some uh, Tanzanian volunteers who are from the border region who said that only a third of the people in their villages spoke Swahili. Uh, but I did have yeah. people try to talk to me in Swahili when I visited Lake Tanganyika. Yeah, uh, makes sense. But like, yep. I bet one of my friend's host fathers uh, told me he spoke Swahili, but I had to coach him on how to say Asante Sana. Okay, yeah. Which I know a little, a very little bit of Swahili because my sister lived in Kenya for a few years and speaks it fluently, and she taught me a bit. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, supposedly it's not that hard to learn. Like that's it's, that's the, the beauty of trade languages is it's not you're not going to have crazy pronunciation issues, and you don't in Swahili. I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, and just remembered something else about the magic. Well, because chameleons cha- can change colors, there's a lot of fear of them that they are magic. There is a fear among Zambians that. If they bite you, you will eventually start changing colors and then dying. But there is simultaneously a belief that they can heal skin issues. Uh, that if okay. you rub one on on a, some, on a rash, it will make the rash go away. But the fear of them was kind of amazing. And we would tease one of our uh, staff members by, putting, by waving chameleons around him. Weird, yeah. 
And somebody even got a beanie baby chameleon sent to them and put it on his shoulder. <laughs> it's like this horrible, <laughs> magical beast that like yes. everybody fears. Yeah. Yes. Put the beanie baby version. We love you, Donald. So, the Tongas, the main tribe in Southern Province, uh, a very minor tribe in Zimbabwe. Traditionally, they, traditionally, uh, they raise cattle uh, far more. More so than the other tribes. Uh, yeah, whenever, that's exactly. I was. That's yeah. yeah. Don't let me forget that later. There's another tribe that's kind of like very. They speak like a uh, very coy song, like kind of like Botswana. And I was wondering, like, okay, how many of these are, you know, or at least traditionally, were hunter gatherer versus yeah. uh, cattle yeah. herders versus yeah. like agricultural kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Oh, yeah. the lo- yeah, the Lozies are definitely not. Uh, not hunter-gatherers. They are very much cattle raisers. Actually, the Bantus, uh, they're very much farmer. They're farmers. Yeah, uh, okay. Part of the reason they were able to expand was because uh, they start cutting down trees to uh, to yeah. make to make their fields, to mm-hmm. grow plantains and yams. Mm-hmm. But when they'd cut down the trees, it would cause puddles to form. So mosquitoes would start breeding the puddles and start spreading malaria. Gotcha. So when they moved yeah. into an area, it would kill off the uh, previous inhabitants. So were they also maybe a little bit more immune to malaria because of that? Yes. Like, yes, they had, that's part of the deal. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting little piece of tidbit there. Yeah. I mean, I've studied the Bantu yes. migration like superficially in college yes. and stuff, but they are uh, not only do they have uh, have uh, sickle cell anemia at a fairly high rate, which is protective. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bantus and most Central and yeah, and West Africans are actually completely immune to uh, the VVAC species of malaria because they don't have the protein that the parasite uses to enter the blood cells. Less than 5% of the population has that protein, which is called the Duffy antigen. But that's just uh, one strand of malaria that they're immune to then? or Yes. The second worst of the four yeah, I, have, I never heard of that. That's okay. Yeah, that's new to me. That's that's neat. Yeah. I heard of the sickle cell anemia thing, which I was like, yeah, if you're if you have it like as a recessive gene, it'll stop the just like the, the those cells that get infected just sickle. They just kind of dry up yeah. and die, and then you're fine. So it doesn't spread throughout yeah. the whole body. It's like that's yeah. cool. Like that kind of yeah. explains sickle cell anemia um, as a as a you know like co-evolved uh, kind of thing, like gene. Like it was very useful. But when children have two copies of it, it is devastating in then the villages. Be- yep. Exactly. Then you got sickle cell anemia, full blow. Yeah, exactly. So where's this? Where's the Seventh Day Adventist influence coming from in in Zambia? Was that is that the Tonga, or is that yeah, in more was, of the southern province? Or yeah, the uh, main tribe in southern province and a uh, very minor tribe in Zimbabwe is the Tongas. Uh, Traditionally raised cattle. Uh, whenever I drove through Tonga land, I'd always see at least one butcher stop in every butcher shop in every town by the road. Very different from uh, my area. I only rarely saw any butcher shops there. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And and I mean, since they live in an arid area, they can't grow crops very well, which is why okay. they have. Okay. That explains. Yeah. Cattle. That explains it then. Yeah. Yeah, and the name Tonga itself is believed to come from a Shona word. The uh, Shona or the main tribe on the other side of the Zambezi River means independent because traditionally the Tongas didn't have any uh, re- any real chiefs or other forms of central government, unlike most of the other Bantu tribes. Right. Um, their, vi- yeah. Yeah. their villages are also really spread out. One of my friends said that her village was strange because... yeah. So they're kind of a bunch of libertarians, it sounds like. Very, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, not exactly. Uh, right. Still, but... Yeah, yeah. there were still people who had more authority. Typically, the uh, priests who, were ca- who, uh, who tried to appease spirits 
And the guy's okay. called yep. Ulanika, which translates as owner of the land. Uh, and Bemba, the headman, and the form I was taught in training, mm-hmm. uh, is Moshe, which later means owner of the land. Okay, so there was some sort of like, I got yeah. here first, and yes. or a yes. religious authority, sort of like, yeah, the, the, the healer, the shaman, sort of. Yes. Okay, but, yeah. Yes. But yes, the first uh, man to move in and his and his descendants would take on the title. It's not unlike uh, how would, sort of nobility works, except with conquering. Yeah. Like, we conquered this 500 years yeah. ago. We run this now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Move in. And traditionally, hunters would have to give them a part, uh, part of their kills. Uh, but they're, but yeah. beyond that, the direct power wasn't too strong, I be- don't believe. Uh, yeah. they've actually, I believe they've actually gained power since colonization because the government needed somebody to work with when they were trying to do something in a that's a good area. point yep that's very likely yep and uh, among tongas uh, polygamy is actually very common i mean not among tongas i knew the tongas staff members mostly he said uh, they were happy to only have one wife and uh one of my friend one of my friends in my village was from uh, T- from tonga land uh he had been a uh, pay officer for the government and a human resources officer uh, but he just said he couldn't understand how some people could have 12 wives. But really, that random. are we still talking, like, are these the Tonga that are not Seventh-day Adventists, or for some reason... Oh, they're, they're still Seventh-day Adventists. So we're, they're, they're, there's they? some people that they'll avoid pork, they'll go to church on Saturday, uh, but they might have, like, a half dozen wives. Yes. Interesting. Okay. You know, no judgment. I'm, that's just fascinating. Yeah. So, okay. Yes. Yeah. And and Zambia today... A lot of the young men go and leave, and we'll go find somebody, possibly from another tribe, marry them. So, so uh, yeah. they're very. I didn't observe it in my village, but there easily could be an excess of women in most Tonga villages now. Yeah, that's a whole other dynamic. See, that's that's why I wanted you on the show. That's something I would have never probably come across on my own. Like that paints an interesting picture. That's just hard to kind of imagine. And uh, and now a lot of Tongas are moving out of Southern Province because it is semi desert in its natural state and can no longer support all of them. Uh, there's a group, uh, my nearest Peace Corps neighbor, or at least I was her nearest Peace Corps neighbor, uh, lived 35 kilometers away from me and I could bike to her to her house, uh, but the language had changed noticeably between my site and hers because a lot of Tongas moved in there. And I also biked the same distance to town and she said that the difference in language between her village and town was enormous. That's um, crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. that's really interesting. Yeah. So on a bicycle, you have to, like, if you take a good solid bike ride, you got to know, know more than one language. That's really something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I think they can understand each other, mm-hmm. but it is different. And yeah. the Tongas are also especially uh, notorious for having a lot of wildly different dialects. In short distances, like some of my is that part Tonga. of their part of their yeah. being independent? Like they all live yeah. different different from their neighbors, so the families almost on a family basis they have like develop their own slang and you know go off in a direction. Yeah. I suppose. Yes, uh, but yes, some of my uh, Tonga speaking friends joke that. Every 10 kilometers is a new Tonga dialect. I can imagine it being, you know, that's why I wondered, like, are, is tribal, are, you know, do they vote by tribal lines? Because that yeah. couldn't get ugly, yeah. you know, but. Yeah, sort of. 
sort of yeah, one government you, party. You'll have instances yeah. of, yeah, mostly backed by one, I suppose. I, yes. I mean, it'd be smart yeah. to be like, oh, look, I'm this. Uh, my mom's Tonga, my dad's Bemba, and all my, you know, all my cabinet members. I mean, you'd think like you'd, you'd try to run on a Zambian platform as, as much as you could. And, you know, like they must consciously try to avoid that to some degree. But uh, I mean, over time, the the Patriotic Front and United National Development Party Party uh, have been getting more regionalized. Yeah. And, and that's that might be yeah. one way to fire up their local, you know, their base is like, oh, we're, we'll support you over them. Yeah. And then you'll really get, you know, like, like we'll support Tonga over Bemba. Then you'll obviously get a lot of Tonga support and maybe that'll win the election. But that can't be a good thing. I mean, that's that's, yeah. you know, that's the beginning of yeah. Uh, yeah, like regional power and that kind of thing. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyways. Well, yeah. What's the next tribe? Um, so after the Tonga going counterclockwise, let me look at my map here. So that was so going so we're straight south. Let's go east. That'll probably keep it simpler. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Too. So if you go straight east towards the border of Mozambique, yep. what do you get into uh, there? Yes. Then you hit the capital, which is actually in Tongoland, but the main language is our next tribe, Nyanja. Uh, Nyanja is actually okay. a made-up language. Uh, the government kind of made a mixture of the main languages in eastern province, in eastern province which is Chewa, Kunda, Nangoni, and Nisenga, with a little bit of Bemba thrown in. So you were saying, but that, so not everybody yeah. actually speaks that. Is that what you were, yeah. that's the language you were saying, yes. like in theory? Yes, yes. No it kidding. is. Okay. Yeah. It is definitely in the languages in towns, especially in the southern half of the country. In the, bo- in in cr- the Bomas? Yeah. What was it called? Yeah, yeah. in the Bomas, yes. Uh, even in uh, Livingston these days, even though it is nowhere near Nyanjaland and it is surrounded by Tongas, it is still moving in there. Wikipedia actually says that uh, Nianja and Chewa are the same language. Uh, I checked with one of my friends who uh, was in Chewa land. Zambians would not agree with that yeah. by and large. Uh, he said that people in, their, in the village will say they're speaking Chewa, and there's some differences between the village and the town. But Nianja is, in addition to being the, uh, the main language in 
towns in Zambia is also one of the main languages in uh, Malawi. So the Chewa originate, uh, so the Chewa tribal history say they originated in the southeastern part of, of uh, the Congo and then moved into Zambia. What, in the last 500 years? Like, not ancient history. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they established a kingdom in the modern day uh, Chewa land in about 1480. Uh, there you go. Okay. Uh, with, yeah. Two separate centers of power under the Fear under the uh, Fury and Bandit clans. Uh, Fury is still a fairly common name in Zambia, at least among the uh, mm-hmm. Nyanja speakers. One of, one of our staff members is named Fury. Uh, Portuguese records first describe significant contact with the Chewa Kingdom in the mid 1600s, so they were definitely around for a while. The most special thing about the Chewa and their Lin tribes. It's actually these uh, all-male secret societies known as the Niao, uh, at least in Zambia. They go by another name in Malawi. Now you now you got my interest peaked. Uh, that perform dances at important events uh, while wearing masks that can represent ancestors, animals, and trees. Uh, oh, when they're wow. feeling mischievous, yeah. they will sometimes steal people's belongings, demand money for their return. Uh, when people know they're about, uh, they usually try to avoid them and uh, will sometimes try to appease them. By giving them money, not by handing it to them, uh, because they don't want to get grabbed, uh, but by dropping it on the ground for them. And I was actually told that uh, the Niao tradition started before missionaries arrived, when women held most of the political power so that as a way for men to protest choices made by the female chiefs. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm really trying, exactly, you know, when I hear something like this, I'm really trying to piece together why it happened, how it happened, uh... Uh, really interesting. So it's obviously like there's some animistic, like almost, uh, you know, f- I can almost see like fighting the missionaries as part of this. You know, if you have kind of yeah. like dances and like oh. very African. Oh, that tradition, of... that tradition was around well before missionaries arrived. Yeah, but yeah. So just, you know, the fact that they keep it secret societies is like, I thought maybe that was a colonial thing. Yeah. But if it's even before in the matriarchy, that's really interesting, too. Um, and then it's almost like they're shunned like there's a little bit of a taboo like as if they're uh like an executioner or something or you know yes. gypsies back in the day that's a horrible thing to yes. say now but um you know yeah they were kind of mis mistrusted and everything now were these people that lived normal lives and then just yes. donned masks for these yes. events uh yes uh, so really secret society it wasn't like a monastery right. out there like that's where the Niao live stay away but Oh, no, the only uh, person in the Yao whose identity would be known and probably not talked about too much would be the leader who would keep control of the Niao dancers when they were in their animal states. Yeah. Uh, when they're dancing around. Uh, wow. Uh, we actually, in our, uh, when we're saying goodbye to our host families in trading, the uh, Nianja volunteers uh, actually did a imitation uh, Niao dance and had a b- other volunteers play drums and one of the Tonga volunteers uh, pretended to keep control of, th- of them by shaking a rattle at them. I'm not actually sure how authentic that was. So now I, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if they're in a trance state, like almost hallucinating or something, yeah. and there's some guy that has to like keep them, you know, there's some authority figure to kind of keep them within yeah. bounds of society yeah. while they're oh, just, they, you know. <laughs> oh, they don't stay within the bounds of society when they're okay, in well. state. It's largely a point of context, so if anyone wants to join the Niao, they know who to talk to about it. Yeah. Not that there's that many actual secrets in a village. (laughs) 
I I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, that's you know, that's that is really fascinating. Like, you know, two guys go out in the jungle to discuss secret business. You know, I mean, it's just like, when do you even? I guess it'd just be a fun thing to do if, uh, and see if see how long you can keep it secret. There's all kinds of neat things about that. There were there was also women that did this, or no? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Specific, uh, specifically Niao, no. But uh, there was a female equivalent called uh, Chisamba that's mainly okay. performed during uh, female initiation rituals, you know, mostly mm-hmm. when a girl becomes a woman and is taught how to be a good wife. Probably also worth mentioning uh, that in most areas of Zambia, uh, the clothes people wear aren't actually that different from what you see in the U.S., except that nobody wears shorts. Except until recently, some men will wear shorts. But it's yeah. rare to even see women in trousers. They're usually wrapped up. However... In uh, Eastern Province, there are still ceremonies performed where women will, pre- will perform uh, naked from the waist up. Uh, however, they still cover their most important privates, their knees. <laughs> huh, yeah, really. Uh, and it's mostly older women who perform that. A lot to unpack. I-, I have to go look this up later. I feel like, what What are these secret societies? Good luck on? with that. I, that, in, that in chameleons. Was... Well, yeah, it's, it's obviously must be a little esoteric even, you know, for an anthropologist to come in and try to get, get a handle on what that is, you know? Yeah. Um, Good luck. I most of what I told you I learned in Zambia. I couldn't find much. Seriously, about it yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. There was a video documentary about the Niao dancing. Okay, yeah, around, you might run around our Facebook page. You might once. see uh, exactly. You might see a Niao dance, especially if it was like a replica, like you guys were, you know, performed for you. Then maybe that might be online somewhere without any context of you know what that means or anything. I could I could imagine that. But uh, in that case, you heard it here first, folks. So, yeah, welcome to the show. No. <laughs> that's, that's really good. That's kind of riveting, yeah. So let me look um, at my map here. Next, I think we'll do the Tambuka. That, I, I guess is that straight east now? Uh, more like straight north. Yeah, and Senga is one of the sub-tribes. Yeah. But a big one. I mean, it's a place on the map. But... So the Tambuka were uh, originally a disorganized group of villages with little, if any, central organization between them. Uh, they had matrilineal inheritance. Okay, that's one of them, yeah. Like the other big tribes, the Chewa were the same same way uh, before missionaries arrived. Uh, But in the mid-1700s, a group of ivory traders established some centralized chiefdoms among them um, to stabilize the uh, ivory trade. Right. I don't... I don't know anything about the ivory traders. But I suspect they're at least partially Arab. I would guess so. Cause, so now you're, you're bordering to Malawi, which is uh, Arabs were all up and down the coast. So it's kind of, it's not on the coast, but I think and, that's a fair uh, guess. Yeah. And in the, uh, and starting in 1700, the uh, Arab trading, especially the slave trade in Africa, dramatically increased because mm-hmm. uh, 1700 was the year when the Russians were finally able to... Uh, Get a military strong enough to stop slave raids into the Ukraine and Poland. So all the previous, so the slave markets had to shift southwards to make up for that. But uh, the system collapsed in the mid 1800s when a tribe called the uh, Ngoni uh, were displaced by the Zulu in South Africa and uh, moved in and subjugated the, t- the Tambuka. Uh, okay. I suspect part of it was because the Zulu had contact with Westerners and got guns. Yeah. Exactly. Mid 1800s. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No sources to back that up. <laughs> I believe you're correct. Yeah, the Zulu at some point definitely were shooting rifles. Am I wrong? I'll I'll check that before I publish this. But yeah, yeah. mid 1800s. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah. And when the two uh, tribes started intermixing, uh, the villages became more compact, and uh, chiefhood, probably property inheritance, started becoming patrilineal instead of matrilineal. Uh, 
as in the Ngoni tradition, and Ngoni dances and marriage customs became the norm. However, the Dambuka language and agriculture uh, remained remained the uh, dominant languages and uh, and cultural systems until the British started administrating Tambuka land. Uh, when the Tambukas start, uh, started losing respect for uh, Ngoni culture, I suspect they were basically one tribe by the time that happened. But I I don't I know. know. There, yeah, you'd think. Yeah. But yeah, there is an Ngoni subtribe to the uh, in the Nyanja group. Uh, I doubt they're unconnected. Uh-huh. And after the Timbuka lost respect for the Ingonis, they started reviving their old traditions. Actually, uh, extended further, uh, they were also one of the first tribes in uh, in the Union of British Central Africa, as Wikipedia calls it, to start uh, organizing for independence from the British Empire. And who knows what would have happened if they hadn't been uh, colonized by the Ingonis. And I want to emphasize when these people were traveling. These were farmers. <laughs> These weren't uh, normally nomadic. Yeah, so what, it was a serious migration. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, these weren't nomadic herders who were always moving anyway. Right. Uh, in fact, you can't actually raise livestock outside of the southern regions of Zambia effectively okay. without yeah. spraying the cows down with insecticide to kill the tsetse flies to stop oh, them from like it... dying of. Yeah. yeah. Sleeping sickness will, will kill off That's most kind of crazy, livestock. But yeah, there. yeah, yeah. I know what they, yeah, I know the other side of the equator, uh, what they did, you know, they had like big blue and black blankets for the ZC flies. Because if you, like I was in the Serengeti, Serengeti, which is that same boundary, like, uh, you know, climate boundary of north is more arid and south is like proper kind of. And then so there's that, there's ZC flies in, in areas and they just, a lot of man-made things to clear the areas of, of what the, what we can do without using like pesticides. But then they just hang up like big blue blankets and uh and then it turns out like some of the, the reason some of the tribes wear those colors like the samburu wear black and blue is because that's what the ziti flies they're, they're yeah. just afraid it just freaks them out they don't ziti flies won't go yeah. near that i should uh, point out though sleeping sickness is no longer a problem in zambia the only place oh, in yeah. zambia where you might get bitten by ziti flies is in national parks and they're exactly. not carrying they're not carrying the disease there Usually. oh really okay yeah, yeah. Cause we were, I mean, we like I've I saw a ziti fly in uh, Tanzania. I was like, oh my god, you know, kill it. But I, yeah, yes. I mean, they were they were we, around. Yeah, I did I did the same thing too in in uh, in uh, North Luangu National Park. Yeah, yeah, like close the windows. We're we're coming in. It was uh, in the back of a vehicle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, one got in, and we were just like freaking out, like killing it. But otherwise, we're like, okay, you know, sometimes there's even signs, or the the driver just knows, like, okay, we're getting into a. You know, this part of the park, close up the windows, but there are usually only one of them per square mile or square kilometer. Crazy. Well, then I'm kind of lucky I saw one, I guess, but you know, that's yeah. So now what? We're going counterclockwise. We're north. Next steps, the Mamboys. Yes. Ah, Tanzania. Yeah, they're across from. So we were across from Malawi more. Now we're definitely across from Tanzania proper. Yes. Okay. All right. The Mambwe uh, live, live a little further north uh, along the border of Tanzania. Uh, which was actually a major trade route for Arab, for Arab traders uh, between East and Central Africa. And it's uh, still the most important road and railway connection uh, in Zambia today. Well, in Kasama, there's a lot of mountains yeah. around Kasama. Uh, however, since uh, the Mambwe are a very small tribe, uh, virtually all Zambian uh, Mambwe speak Bemba, as well as most, uh, most native Bemba speakers. Uh, one of my main counterparts was... 
was uh, Mambwe and spoke. And I didn't even realize he was Mambwe until he told me he's Bemba sounded like like everyone else's. Mambwe's are also known as as uh, very good businessmen. They form a disproportionate uh, portion of Zambia's business class, at least according to Wikipedia. And it said it's actually said that the Mambwe are descended from escaped slave slaves, and when they were captured, they'd often be so much uh, trouble for Arab slave traders that they'd be released. Uh, rather than having to, rather than uh, they're putting up with their their <clears throat> misbehavior. Yeah, good on them. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I'd actually known how long the Mamboys uh, were in their in Mamboy land, but the Bemba story, so their migration, uh, do say that the Mamboys were already there when Bembas arrived. Uh, okay. Yeah. In the in the uh, 16 and 1700s, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> And it's probably also worth mentioning that uh, at least one uh, British official, and probably more, Mamboy chiefs don't actually have much authority, and Mamboy's kind of, kind of like the uh, Tongas, yeah. aren't really in the habit of taking orders from outsiders. It's like herding cats, so it's just kind yeah. of hard to yeah. put one policy on everybody that just doesn't even, yeah, yeah doesn't respect yeah. authority. Yeah, yes. and uh, <laughs> I appreciate that and, too. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, my uh, counterpart uh, told me that that uh, occasionally the mom boys would have to would fight the Ngoni when the Ngoni were trying to move in. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was the Ngoni. It may have been another tribe, and they usually won their won their battles because the their uh, Ngoni would fight in dense formations like like a Greek phalanx, phalanx with spears, yeah. and then the mom boys would just move would. Uh, Stay out of range and fire arrows at them until they leave, and then pursue them until until they were gone. Yeah, were able to maintain their independence. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. which definitely, which is definitely similar to how the Athenians won some battles against the Spartans during the Peloponnesian War, except that the Mamboys are doing that on foot. Right. Yep. Yeah. Not quick in the cavalry and, sense, but yeah. yeah, from a distance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and their traditional spear and their traditional bows would be significantly taller than them when they were drawing. Neat. Yeah, it's really like snipers out of sni- sight more than uh, yeah. Next tribe is the largest tribe with three million people, and the tribe I know best because I lived with them for two years, uh, the Bembas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. yeah the whole northern province pretty much is that do uh, they all- most. Yeah, most of northern province except for Mamboy land plus right. Luapula province, although some of Luapula's weird thing where they're also uh, also Lundas, but the okay. map shows yeah. them as, lists them as Bembas. Mm-hmm. They never could fully understand all the tribal relationships. Yeah. I know, you almost need a lot of asterisks and like annotations yeah. and like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as well as Copper Belt. Uh, and uh, right, a new and most of a newly created province that was uh, called Muchinga Province. Uh, it used to be part of Northern Province, but the government decided Northern Province was too large. Uh, okay. The uh, yeah. the wonders of the British system—they actually can split up provinces more easily than Americans could split up states. Probably not a coincidence that all of the uh, provinces in Zambia that aren't named for a direction except the capital are predominantly Bemba di- uh, provinces. Ah, uh, yeah. That makes Suspect. now that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. And surprisingly, I never actually heard much about Bemba's uh, origin stories where I was living. But according to everyculture.com, 
Uh, the mythical origins of the Bemba are from the land of Kola, uh, just presumably somewhere along the west coast, yeah. west African coast, okay. uh, where white and black people lived together until a quarrel between them uh, caused the white people to move to Europe in order to get rich. Uh, the black people stayed and were ruled by a chief named uh, Mukulumbempe, uh, Mubemba, uh, who gave his name to the tribe. And Queen of Heaven had left, uh, came to the earth. Uh, Mumbi Mukasa Liulu. Uh, that's the name of the earth or the name of the queen? The that's name a, of the queen. Either way, that's a mouthful. Yeah. But yeah. okay, yeah. That's, I swear I had a much easier time speaking Bamba in the village. Now, oh, no. It's, it's just a matter of practice. Like, yeah. if I try to speak Czech now, it's not going to come out right. Trust me. Yeah. Mumbi Mukasa Liulu, uh, the queen of heaven and, and a member of the crocodile clan and had uh, sons with Mukulambi yeah, Mobemba, yeah, mm-hmm. but family but family strife caused the sons to flee with the group of followers and eventually moved into the land they currently occupy in the 1700s. And uh, I never heard anything about different clans named after animals in my village, but my village uh, was a unique case. It was very close to, uh, to town. There are vehicles going to it every day. And there was a school full of students from the capital in it. Yeah. So it was always... Different from most other Peace Corps villages. But different clans often have a joking relationships. For example, members of the Crocodile Clan will tell members of the Fish Clan that I can eat you. And the Fish Clan will respond by saying, yes, but you'd starve without us. And as, uh, and as uh, Mubemba's sons were, were, uh, were traveling, a group, of, a group of them fell asleep next to a river uh, and were left behind. Uh, these... Descendants are now called the Lala people. Uh, they're the sub-tribe I lived with in particular. Yeah, gotcha. That most of my friends lived with. I kind of lived on the border in Lala land and Swaka land, and I was never actually convinced that people in my village knew which tribe they belonged to, because when I checked a lot of their weird dialect uh, with staff and volunteers uh-huh. who picked up languages better than me, a lot of the weird words I learned were actually Swaka words, not Lala words. Huh. Yeah, so interesting. Yes. Yeah. But Lala is actually, uh, or Ukulala is actually one of two Bemba, wor- Bemba words for to sleep. Uh, the other is Ukusandama. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told by a lot of different people that Ukulala implies somebody is not sleeping alone in some dialects, but never the dialect of anyone who told me that. When I heard people using uh, Ukulala with me, uh, it was uh, it was always when I was sleeping at weird times, usually when I was sick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And naturally we'd all, we'd often joke uh my friends in La La Land would joke that Peace Corps said this to La La Land. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. To La La Land, yeah. And when I visited a volunteer, uh foresight visit and training, she actually had uh Nfuma Kulala Land, which is Welcome to La La Land written on her house. I should actually that should be the title of the show is like uh, La La Land and Zambia or something. Yes, <laughs> being sent to La La Land. Yes, and there's a big celebration Bemba's have by the Paramount Chief's house. Yeah, uh, that I wanted to go to, but the first time it happened, I wasn't allowed to leave my village because it was still in my first three months. Okay. And the second time, I was too sick to go. Rats. So you were kind of on the border between Lala and Swaka, even, or between? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of, yeah, so you're right at the base of that foot where the little piece of Congo kicks down. 
The map yes. still calls Zare, or is it called Zare again? Zaire? Uh, it's the Democratic Republic of the Congo now. Usually it's called the DRC. Yeah. DR, yeah. And a lot of names actually changed around me. Uh, if you uh, look on Google Maps around my site, you'll see this town called uh, Piccadilly Circus. Mm-hmm. And my GPS would say Piccadilly Circus uh, there, too. But I never heard a single Zambian call it that. They all called it Masansa. And the, Weird. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the road I'd used to get to my site, at least when Peace Corps was bringing me, uh, was, was Masansa Road, which is actually not the official road. It was made by some of the farmers. Mm-hmm. I paid for its construction. Uh, people in... The drivers in my village actually used the official road to get in and out. Uh, this is a shorter distance, but it was a more complicated trip. But yeah, Misansa and uh, Makushi were equal distances from my house uh, as I was biking. But everything was more inspe- more expensive in Misansa because it had to be transported over a very rough dirt road. Okay. And there was less stuff there, and it was a more difficult bike ride, so I only biked there twice. And one of those times was to give a friend a cat. Miloso, you said? Yeah, now I think yes. I'm zooming in here. Oh, that's, the, okay, that's the actual village. No. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, then I found it. Hey. It's, yeah. I thought and you were between you... that and something else. So let me let me zoom in there try to get a, let's see how high the definition is on Google Maps. And if you see some green circles, uh, that's actually irrigation systems that the, uh, that the commercial farmers put in. Okay, yep. There's a hill near my house that I would climb, and I could see commercial farmers <laughs> with bright green plots in the dry season because they're... They were uh, irrigating with Makushi River water. Okay. And yeah. and there were some times when the water level would rise six inches between uh, trips to get water. Uh, so within a half hour, because the commercial farms had stopped pumping mm-hmm. upstream. And huh. downstream, uh, there was actually a commercial farmer who, compl- who started using the entire river and cut off literally thousands of Zambians from water. You're kidding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. And uh, I actually did not have a chief. A uh, couple years before I arrived, the chief died, and his nephew, who was supposed to take over, decided he didn't want to. So oh. there were arguments amongst other uh, other nephews and as far as i know it still hasn't been settled the year since i left boy that's kind of a big deal yeah because it's yeah interesting succession crisis i wonder why the nephew didn't want to do it do you you have any details there why would he turn that down i i i uh heard that from another volunteer and she couldn't tell me um but i suspect he just wanted a job in town yeah Um, i mean you know that that's a um because imagine this is you know this must be the highest position in the village. Uh, oh, beyond tradi- a village. Traditionally, you uh, know there wasn't there. What Meloso didn't have a chief. The chief was somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. Meloso was within, was within the chiefdom. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, it's clearly a position yeah. of power, position of respect, yeah. and all that. And for someone to turn it down just to get you know a normal job somewhere else is kind of a it's an interesting statement. I, I've, yeah. you know, I think too of the times. So yeah. And during the dry season, uh, usually everything gets burned. Uh, all the grass is usually lit on fire to clear it out. Um, I believe the original reason for that uh, was so that people could see where the snakes are and avoid getting getting bitten and probably see where predators are and that get could new very grass well for their be. cows. Yeah, I was actually, I was blown away when we're in the middle of like Sahara type uh, ecosystem 
and we're told like do not leave you know if you got if you got to do a number 2 you you do that behind the jeep in the middle of the road cuz you do not go into the bushes where there's scorpions snakes spiders lions leopards you know like serious you know serious stuff um and it was like no kidding around do you know make sure you can see everything and then we get to this little resort run by a single spaniard who just has like this paradise like oasis in the middle of you know pretty rough terrain and um, they're like, what is going on? And they're like, where are you getting your water from? Where are you? And he's like, nope, there's actually, you just dig a well. And, uh, you know, all the Indian resorts, not to pick on Indians, but just I'm stating a fact here, all the Indian resorts, like I mean Indian from India, um, they would all have, they would all cart in water in big tubs. And the Spaniards like, nope, you just, it's not even a deep well. It's just <laughs> the water table's pretty high everywhere in Kenya, you know, like, you know, and this is a known fact. Um, uh, and, I should say the majority of Kenya, they've discovered massive, massive uh, quantities of like underground water. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of an amazing thing. And he says, and all you have to do is mow the lawn. And you see is like, all it was just lawn type grass everywhere. And he's like, if, it, if it's under, you know, even four inches, the snakes won't, you know, the snakes want to hide. They won't come. The spiders don't cross that barrier. Scorpions won't do it. Scor- scorpions are in other places anyways. And the leopards and lions won't sneak up where they can't sneak. So, He's like, yep, you're just, it's magical. You got a lawnmower? All the dangers of Africa just disappear. I was like, yeah. huh. And then you see people burning fields and you're like, yeah, it's, it's more, you know, okay, it's yeah. really harmful for the environment. Somebody get them a lawnmower. Um, but yeah, it just changes. It's like you just flip a switch. It's like, this is civilization now. We have no animals except for we did still have security guards at night, which were Maasai warriors because leopards hid in trees. And if you had, so if you had to walk to the bathrooms or something, then you holler and then the, you know, the Maasai come and make noise and shine flashlights in the trees. And, uh, yeah. So, but otherwise you just avoid all the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there actually isn't any wild animal problems in Zambia. Um, Mm -hmm. it was actually a big news story when a lion got loose from a, from a game farm and was running, uh, (laughs) <laughs> running through the bush yeah like we have a lion this yeah. is yeah yeah oh yeah, no yeah biggest, in kenya yeah. it was like you see five-year-olds going to school with carrying sticks and i'm like what are they doing yeah. with those like they're gonna fend off leopards with those sticks yep they sure are like wow yeah. dang all right oh yeah oh yeah and it's actually tradition in zambia and i assume kenya too that uh the woman walks in front carrying the child and goods mm-hmm. A man walks in the back with an axe or a hoe to fend off any wild animals that come mm-hmm. for him. So usually attack from the back. Yep. Attack. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah. Even snakes might miss the first person and hit the second person. So yeah. they might startle Which, by the first and yeah. bite the second kind of thing. Yeah. 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 A lot of the villagers don't actually know different types of snakes very well. Uh-huh. And which ones are dangerous. Weird. I, yeah, I okay. encountered, I encountered a decent number. Uh, in my first two months, I had a, Right at the end of my second month, a puff adder, mm-hmm. the deadliest snake in Africa, causes three quarters of all snake bite deaths, tried to get into my house. Ouch, yeah. 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 And uh, called my neighbor over, learned that the word for snake in my village is different from what I learned in training, uh-huh. uh, but she beat it to death for me. Jeez, yeah. I also once had a spotted bush snake uh, hanging out on my dish rack. Uh that's interesting. For are those, a while. Are those po- I have no idea what that is. Are those poisonous? Oh, they're perfectly harmless. Okay. They're often okay. mistaken for uh, boomslangs because in Zambia, they're both green. Mm-hmm. Uh, boomslangs are actually different colors in different places. Okay. Totally yeah. different colors in other parts of Africa. Uh-huh. But in Zambia, they're both bright green, but the spotted bush snake has some black stripes across its back. 
So you can, t- yeah, yeah, you can tell, but yeah. At first glance, you might be like, oh, crap. Yeah. And yeah. learning these things about Zambia is such a pain. I The only snake guide I could find only showed a very tiny bit of the southernmost Zambia because it was meant for South Africans. Right. Weird. But yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Which is the sum of any guide to the biology of Africa, really. You don't find anything about Zambia in any of them. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I mean, comparatively. Yeah. I mean, that's right. It kind of ends Perfect. somewhere in Botswana and then it's, it's just like, nope, this is semi-arid. Showing, I don't care. If it's showing in East Africa, it doesn't go far enough south. And uh, my neighbor whose uh, village had a noticeably different dialect, uh, she actually did have a chief. He was a sub-chief. Uh, he had previously mm-hmm. been a police officer. But we did joke multiple yeah. times that he should just be allowed to annex my chiefdom. Yeah, uh, because he because he'd actually be able to run it well. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, weird, but yeah. yeah. But if but because we didn't have a chief, that's probably part of the reason why one the commercial farms was able to get was able to get away with draining the entire river. Um, I guess so. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out because, how that could. I mean, you just raise yeah. a case somehow. But again, you know, there's if there's language yeah. barriers to the Supreme Court kind of thing. You know, it's just. Yeah, I water mean, rights is we, a... Yeah, I mean, we suspect that he was able to bribe some of the government officials, but if a chief yeah. is on their case, they will not be able to ignore the I know. missing river. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it's, that's kind of strange, but... Okay, so the next herb we're going to talk about, although not the next one going counterclockwise, is the Lunda. Uh, they, most, of the, most of the Lunda tribe is actually in the DRC and Angona, and uh, Angola. And I was told that the Zambian Lundas actually did play a significant role in the Civil War in the DRC. But yeah, the Lunda Empire was originally founded in the 16th century. Uh, apparently, prince of the Luba Kingdom in what's now the DRC, named Mwatayamvo, uh, was able to take over from some, from the apparently, from what my sources say, using a mixture of military force and royal marriages. And the empire continually continued to expand between 1600 and 1750 as groups of Lundas would move out and found satellite kingdoms. Uh, it never quite had discrete boundaries. Uh, it's because some of these satellite kingdoms became provinces uh, that were directly under control of the Lunda, Lunda paramount chief and his administration. Uh, some paid tribute but were otherwise mostly autonomous and others just shared the culture and language uh, but didn't mm-hmm. directly take orders from it. And they were trading, and they were trading partners with both the Arabs and the, and after 1650 the Portuguese, uh, by trading cloth and guns. Uh, and if you look at a map of the Lunda Empire, by your bet that in the 1800s it actually included a lot of Bemba land, but in the mid 1800s a group of armed people called the Chokwe invaded set up their own kingdom, which caused the Lutus to lose power and prestige. However, they still kept their homes and language. And then in the late, teen, late 1800s, Belgian and, Portu- and Portuguese troops arrived. And the kingdom ended up being divided between Portuguese and Gola, uh, Belgium's Congo Free State. Ha ha, about it being a free state. Right, yeah. And well, free uh, from and, laws or morality. <laughs> yes. There's more, more than one ways you can define that, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. And then Britain's uh, northern Rhodesia, and but the but the Lundas inside uh, inside the Congo Free State, 
uh, fought a guerrilla war, trying to keep their get their freedom back until 1909, when the Belgians uh, captured and executed the Lunda leaders. The most unique thing I heard about the Lunda today is that they practice circumcision as a rite of passage into manhood. Uh, but one of my friends in Lunda land said that he went to one of those one of the circumcision camps and just thought it was not the happy a very happy place. And because of the circumcision, the HIV rates among the Lunda are the lowest in Zambia, and in Zambia as a whole, that's between 10 and 15 percent. I know, that's that's a whole other topic, which I, I didn't know if we should talk about that here. So Zambia is one of the countries, Botswana, Zambia is kind of, uh, I guess South Africa is like really kind of the epicenter of some of the strongest hit areas of Africa even. Um, I guess 15% isn't the highest, highest, but that's up there. Yeah. But while I was there, uh, the estimate actually got revised downward. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's yeah, across the board, it's kind of better maybe than it was in the 90s. I don't know. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, there, yeah, yeah. It was, and, I, there was plenty of sad cases yeah. that I saw oh, yeah. when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And there, and uh, there have been a lot of healthy children born since the 90s that, mm-hmm. without anything else, will push the rate down. Yep. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much of that is because of circumcision and how much is just because there isn't a lot of road traffic going into Lunda land. Uh, to get from my to get from uh, the capital of Central Province to uh, the capital of Northwest Province actually usually actually usually takes about 14 hours uh, at least 14 yeah. hours. Mm-hmm. Also known to have a much stronger fear of magic. Uh, Part of their funeral services is actually called a flying coffin when somebody who wasn't already very old and clearly going to die soon mm-hmm. dies. Uh, their coffin is actually carried on the backs of other people's shoulders, and they say that if they're killed by witchcraft, they'll feel the coffin guiding them to the witch responsible. You really don't want to be the person whose house it shows up to. Jeez. But, yeah, but 99% of the time, they just go to the graveyard and don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and don't uh, kill somebody, but people will sometimes get killed on the spot. Yeah, there's a yep, there's a ritual and a method that exists for a witch hunt to this yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, oh, there's a bad neighbor. Let's go walk. Let's go walk this dying guy's coffin over to that house and yeah. then kill him. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I was told that people do feel the coffin pulling on them. Yeah, I don't know how much is the idiomotor effect. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you're gonna if you ask me, I'm yeah. pretty skeptical of these things. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It's kind of become part of Christianity now. Exactly. I was going to say, like in other parts of the world is like where they still venerate the saints and that, you know, as idols and that kind of thing is like voodoo is a great example where there's still crucifixes and and pictures of saints. I can kind of imagine like uh, you take some of the dances and rituals and you just kind of blend it in, you know, give it a little bit different meaning. Okay, so is that? Yeah, so that's the Lunda tribe. Yeah. Now, the next one on the list is the Kaonde tribe which is yeah. actually to the east of them. So it kind of breaks our counterclockwise thing. Yeah. But still, we're in the northwest corner of the country, basically. The Keonde, uh, they're believed to have originated among the Luba people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, they, they clearly had a huge effect on Zambia, even though they're not in Zambia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved into their homeland in the 1500s and 1600s. Uh, and when they settled, they actually recognized the Lunda Paramount Chief as their overlord. Hence why we're going out of order. Uh, mm-hmm. And until the 1800s, when several autonomous Kionde chiefdoms were established, uh, 
And now, uh, the native Kaode speakers only make up 2% of the population in Zambia. Uh, and okay. it's right next to the copper belt. Uh, and as mines in the copper belt are being depleted, uh, more mines are being opened in Kaode land. Uh, Interesting, and the, yeah. yeah. And, the, of course, the lingua franca in, in, among mine workers is Bemba or English. Uh, so the Kaone language is starting to disappear. Yeah, that's a little As sad. Yeah. I could never make any sense out of Lunda I heard. I could barely remember and couldn't try to repeat words, even when other Americans were saying it, were speaking it. Uh, but I could make some sense out of Kaone uh, because it was similar enough to Bemba. Yep. Yeah, it's between the two. So, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yep. But there's this weird, and same with Mamboy, there's this weird thing where I'd recognize some words as being exactly the same and others being completely different, but none that, mm-hmm. but not many were saying, oh, I see the similarities. Right. Mostly you can build off of something different. instead of, yeah. yeah. Well, no, not like English and German where there's the same vowels and roughly the same order, so you can figure out it's the same word, just nearly mm-hmm. identical or completely different. Mm-hmm. If you're going up around along the uh, road through Copper Belt, uh, it ends in Sulawesi, which, when I was there, is the capital of Northwest Province. But there was talk about moving the the provincial bone of Northwest Province uh, westward, so it's more in the center of the province. Uh, Sulawesi is kind of the last town, and a lot of people end up moving into Sulawesi. Sulawesi mm-hmm. can't find jobs and can't move on or go back. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So one of the more depressed areas of the country, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but and it's just this incredibly dusty city. Uh, when yeah. I visited, it was in the rainy season, so the dust was down. But we joke about getting a Sulawesi tan where you it, turn red. Yeah, until you take a shower and oh, my tan's yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, right. And our last tribe. Oh, are we already? Let's see. Let me look at the map. We're okay. Yeah. Straight to the south. Yeah. Oh, okay, southeast. Yeah. Yes, the oldest tribe uh, within Zambia is actually the Lozi tribe. Uh, it's the only non-Bantu tribe in, Z- tribe in Zambia. About three-quarters of the words are Khoisan. The rest mm-hmm. are borrowed Bantu words. Uh, the Lozi tradition says they've always lived in their homeland, which is in the floodplain of the Zambezi River. Uh, it was once known as, as uh, Barotsi land. It's now known as Western Province. Um, we'll get into why it changed later. Mm-hmm. Uh, living Since they live in the floodplain, every year when the rains come, they have to mo- move to higher ground. Uh, they're unlike, uh, unlike most of the other tribes, they don't have any sub-tribes. They only had their leader, uh, who was called the Litungu, or Keeper of the Earth. Uh, the highest status people are people who are directly related to him uh, in the recent past. And then since they live in a floodplain, every year they have to move... Uh, from the valley to the high ground when the rains start, and then moves that back around again when the Zambezi starts to go down. Uh, cattle, it's my understanding that cattle herding was always very important for them. Uh, and they have so many mosquitoes that it's actually common practice to burn cow dung on their uh, braziers to to drive the mosquitoes away. Right. I was told that by Lozi who moved to my village. Then their most important festival is called the Kumboka, when the uh, Litungu moves to a higher ground when the rains start falling. That's an interesting little, yeah, little culture they got. Yeah. 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 And then 
Then from 1830 to 1864, the Lozi uh, were ruled by an so- army that came on the Soto uh, region of South Africa until they, gained, until they revolt and gained their independence. Then when they gained their independence, their uh, new Latungu asked to become a British protectorate called mm-hmm. Brotsaland, but instead they became a territory controlled by the British South Africa Company, which at the time was led by Cecil Rhodes. Yeah who uh, gave his name to Rhodesia and the Rhodes Scholarship. But when the company couldn't find any exploitable resources, uh, they just defaulted on their, on their commitments, didn't build any infrastructure, improve ed- education. And the Latungu eventually decided that he'd been tricked, and uh, probably rightfully so. Uh, eventually, Rhodes land was incorporated into northern Rhodesia and still regained, still retained a fair amount of autonomy. But when Zambia gained independence... Uh, it was called Barotsaland Province, but eventually, but eventually to uh, head out to avoid having any separatist movements, President Kunda just started just renamed it Western Province, and uh, and I never heard anything about it from Peace Corps, but when I when I went to a medical got a medical clearing clearance uh, from my local doctor. They sent me a pa- They gave me a packet that said Barotsaland should not be mentioned inside of Zambia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But Correct. I mean, yeah. who knows how old that was? I will for the listeners. There, I'll, I'll mention. I'll, I mentioned the uh, like the Khoisan language family. That'll be in an episode or two here. And as far as the tribal relations go, it's important should be mentioned that that the different tribes do interact fairly broadly with each other. They intermarry all the time. Uh, when I went water rafting uh, along the Zambezi River, our guide was actually called himself Tonga because he grew up speaking Tonga as his main language mm-hmm. in Southern Province, but his parents were actually Bembas. It might be significant that he was in his late 30s and was and had never been married, but I'm not sure how. And then even just between towns and villages, there can be big differences. Uh, there's always, in the more rural areas, uh, dialects is usually referred to the deep version of a language. Uh, for example, the deep Bemba word for cat is chona or ichona, but in towns people would say pushy, which is derived from pussy, what English would call cats. I heard that from a friend uh, in a more remote village in mine, that to get there you'd have to hitch a ride along a road on a semi and then walk nine kilometers off the road. The bus service would not go, would not go there. And then he had to learn the uh, deep Bemba word from somebody who was uniquely knowledgeable about it. Most people, even in his village, would just say pushy. And then for some reason, when the malaria control agent would try to make friends with my cat, he'd always go kit, 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 instead of pushy or right. Jonah. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you want to you want to get into tribal hierarchy? Is there anything uh, you want to yeah, say there? Uh, we might have mentioned this out, or that. I think we should start out by uh, saying that the title Chi, that the reason we say chief or senior chief, paramount chief, and then headman is probably because is probably because the British didn't want to use uh, titles equivalent to their own uh, own noble status. Yeah, it's a good or guess. Because, yep. Yeah, because the paramount uh, paramount chiefs their power is similar to a king's. That's actually kind and of crazy. The, that yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't you just call them dukes and counts and earls and stuff? Yeah. You know exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. I tried talking about that with other volunteers once, but <laughs> it had, a neg- had a very strongly negative reaction from one of them who said, no, they should have different titles. But 
What? No. Yeah. I mean, so so back yeah. then it was it was actually kind of disgusting that there was a king of yeah. I forget what, but also yeah. a British colony. And so it's like, well, when he comes to England as a state visit, is he treated as the king of France? Oh hell no. Oh hell yeah. no. Oh, uh, yeah. it was, and it was or, like very you know, clear, like even... make no mistake, yeah. you are not on the level of the King of England. Yeah. Make no like no it's black and white. I mean, there's no come on, that was as racist yeah. as racism gets. So yes. no, man, of course they should yeah, and I mean, the position of a village headman is actually pretty similar to a English squire in the mid- in the early to mid-1800s. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. But yeah. But yes, the uh, very basic is a village headman uh, or headwoman um, in Bantu languages. Uh, genders are not distinguished. Uh, there's no... And people would mess up... And when people don't speak English very well, will often mess up people's genders just because it's not something you can tell from from Bantu languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. The uh, the title I was taught for village headman in trading was Monimushi, or Monimush, uh, because that, which literally translates to owner of the village. Um, okay, yeah. But... In my area, I didn't actually hear that. I heard Sultan for a village head for a village headman instead. Like Sultan? Uh, yeah, probably not That's, a coincidence. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then you and then you have a senior headman who just kind of oversees other headmen around him. And then you have a sub chief. On top of a sub chief, you have a re- you have the regular chief. Uh, when speaking English, Zambians will usually refer to him as His Royal Highness or Her Royal Highness. And then above them, you have senior chiefs. Uh, I, I think uh, the way that usually works is a senior chief is usually in charge of a sub-tribe, but I'm not totally sure. And then on top of them, you have the paramount chief, who is in charge of the whole tribe. Uh, but when two chiefs have a dispute and need another chief to mediate, they don't preferentially choose a senior chief or the paramount chief. They'll often just have another ordinary chief. Who mm-hmm. can make an unbiased decision for them? Mm-hmm. Just bring in a, any third yeah. party that, yeah, trustworthy. Yes. Yeah. And then a lot of what a lot of what headmen do is uh, is adjudicate land disputes, uh, and it's expected that you go to the headman, then move up the line, and when somebody is trying to mediate a dispute uh, or get a chief to mediate a dispute for them, uh, it's it's customary to give a gift. Um, we're told usually about thirty kwacha or forty by the time we left. That comes out to about three dollars. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or alternatively, a chicken, uh, mm. because because if you give the chief uh, food instead of money, uh, they'll probably share it with others, and other people get to eat. If it's right. if you just give cash, it's going to go in the chief's bag. He's going to buy something for himself with it. Sounds about right. Probably. Yeah. yeah right. And I mean that is paying for a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main punishments uh, that will be made is banishment or flogging. Uh, I believe only chiefs will order a flogging. Uh, I don't think headmen have that power. And the chief won't actually do it himself. But it kind of uh, like, okay, yeah. so you yeah, you drop a case and then you bring it to the chief. And like he, yeah. he deserves a flogging yeah. and it kind of goes to court. Something. Yeah. yeah. Yes, uh-huh. and usually it involves theft or uh, possibly witchcraft. The headman can banish someone from their village. Someone in my, someone within my village did get uh, did get banished. Uh, usually Zambians will say chased instead of banished. Right. 
But he had to move move about three kilometers away into the middle of Meloso. But he still but he still came back a few times, a few times to uh, talk to me. Uh, but if a chief banishes someone, on the other hand, and they are not allowed back into the chiefdom until the chief is dead, if they wow. do return, I believe they will always get flogged. <laughs> One of the chiefs around me, uh, he actually he actually did have his own nephew who was going to take over after he died, flogged and then banished. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then when somebody's meeting a chief, uh, it's customary to kneel and uh, kneel while offering the gift. Uh, everyone from the president downwards will kneel when they're meeting a chief. Uh, however, okay. however, if there is a dispute, the government can replace a chief with uh, a better candidate. There was actually a dispute. The dis- Before I got to Zambia, uh, the president was trying to replace the Bemba Paramount chief with his brother. His other brother was actually the district commissioner of my district, and it resulted in the members having no paramount chief for a few years. Uh, but, yeah, weird. Yeah. But yeah. the current chief is uh, is Chewa, so he cannot put a family member in charge of a Bemba tribe. Uh, so now somebody, fr- so now someone with a connection, the old chiefly family is is uh, now the paramount chief. I don't know the details about it though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I don't. Like that's really a tribal kind of hierarchy, like all the way up to a province level. Like that's something you don't see a lot. That that, that does strike me as something kind of unique, you know. Oh, oh, beyond the but. province level, the Bemba Paramount chief is in charge of four different provinces. Well, yeah, um, yeah. So exactly, it's almost yeah. It's like uh, <laughs> in some way more power than a senator or governor because it's like you know overarching over ethnic lines. So, but yeah, yeah. that's that's just something neat yeah. to kind of think about. Yes, but the uh, the chief's power is very separate from the government's power, though. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and the chief's power doesn't really extend into towns in any meaningful way. But, uh, so it's more like a court jurisdiction, yeah. and there's not yeah. definitely not collecting taxes, not building infrastructure. It's settling disputes, yeah. kind of thing. The yes. separate police force, sort of. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and I mean the Zambian government does take care of education and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. But chiefs will often petition the Zambian government to build a school somewhere and are and play an important role. Yep. In yep. that, uh, and I mean they do work. To, they work together a lot. Yeah, they do. It like, yeah, yeah, they do represent the people to some degree. So, yeah. and you know, have some sway and, for that matter. So, yeah, interesting. And then when a chief dies, uh, it's usually kept secret until he can be buried secretly. Uh, typically, they dam a river and then bury him in the riverbed so the body oh, okay. cannot be found. Yeah. Uh, kind kind of like Attila the Hun. I know. Yeah. But interesting. Uh, the fear. There's a fear that a chief's body could be used for ma- for magic. If somebody finds it. Okay. I was like, why? Is it uh, like veneration or are they burying him with goods or what? Yeah, but okay. Oh, weird. Yeah, okay. Huh. Yeah. Uh, And then when a new chief is chosen, uh, the family gets together and uh, they all vote. I think usually by all pointing at their chosen uh, future chief. This is like an open election sort of thing or? Yeah, but I mean, just just within the chief's chiefly family. Right. Okay. 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 Still, that could be ugly. I guess. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, and the whole time I was there, I didn't actually didn't have a chief. Uh, 
And neither did uh, my friend in the right down the border of the DRC. We had, we had the same, which was probably about uh, about 40 miles away from me. Uh, about a year before I arrived, our chief died. Uh, one of his his nephew would have taken over, decided not to take the job. Mm-hmm. And the rest of his nephews couldn't agree on a choice. So the area was left on, so the area was left without a chief for mm-hmm. maybe even still until now, for all I know. Yeah. Weird. So yeah, there, were, yeah, there could be like succession issues. Yeah, it's not all. Yeah. That's just kind of, yeah, there's room for, <laughs> room for failure. And yeah. Yeah. Not that, not that it isn't still better than, uh, than playing a genetic lottery with your next leader. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> like our ancestors. Yep. Uh, there's even a white chief in uh, Lundaland, uh, descended from some missionaries. Uh, that family has been one of the Lunda chiefs for, for quite a few decades now. Looks like they might get replaced because they don't have anyone else to take over when the current one dies. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Third generation missionaries in Zambia still. Mm-hmm. And they're just starting to get inbred. So either they're going to need to find more to move in or start leaving or marry, or marry Zambians. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the generational thing is... Yeah, and there were a pair of missionaries whose uh, house I basically biked past on my way to town, who've been there, who've been there for over a decade, spent six months in the U.S., then six months in Zambia, and do a lot of really good work. Mm-hmm. When when Zambia gained independence, there was a British couple who decided to abandon their children and mm-hmm. poisoned them. Their do- their daughter died, but their son lived, and they sent some money for him, but for his education, but he only speaks speaks Nyanja. Uh, mm-hmm. Has five has five kids. It's as Zambian as can be, but he's white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting because in other in other countries, they might have just been butchered at some point. Like yeah. you know, sad as it is, kind of the other the other side of things. Um, but I mean, I I talked to when I was in Czech Republic of all places, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, my aunt owned a coffee plantation in uh, some place." It's like someplace like sub-Saharan Africa, you know, like, I don't know if it was Zambia or what. Um, but she, but and he was like, yeah, and then, you know, li- then communists came, so she just stayed or something. And I was like, weird. That is so strange. But like totally random. But yeah, I guess you would see that, you know, now yeah. and then. And uh, if you read Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight, um, mm-hmm. it's actually a memoir about growing up as a white African and There'd be people from all over Europe, yeah, who they have social relationships with, and yeah. it actually took place in Makushi in my district. Yeah, it's interesting. See, in the towns, I can definitely imagine that. I, you know, it's like as as you kind of get out towards the villages, if it's yeah. no longer a British colony where you'd just see a white guy running the place, it would just yeah, I'd be surprised to run into anybody that's European descent. But then, of course, yeah, there's some missionaries that are trying to get into the most. Uh, you know, kind of out of the way places in the planet. So, makes sense. Yeah, to say nothing of uh, just of the commercial farmers who who own a big plantation, hire Zambians to work on it, mm-hmm. and actually sometimes have had disputes with the Zambian government because they pay their workers more than the Zambian government wants them to. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Because yeah. then, it, as, so that makes it more um, value, like makes it better to work for white people, which is kind of counterproductive yeah. if you're. The way the way commercial farmers treat their Zambian workers varies a lot. 
There was one guy I met named Roy uh, who was actually uh, a politician in Zimbabwe at one point and was voted for by black voters because they liked him enough. But uh, Mugabe didn't like him, so he had to run. Who treated yeah. his workers very well. Sounded like he treated his workers very well. He didn't have much bad to say about anyone, really, except you could kind of tell he didn't like Mugabe because he was imprisoned and tortured on Mugabe's orders. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn that until later. People like him, all the way to peop- to people like uh, one commercial farmer who would choose his workers' jobs by ha- putting a ruler from their nose to their chin, telling them to say their name, and if their lips touched the ruler, they wouldn't get a job. They'd get they'd be uh, digging ditches. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, I kind of feel like white people got everything that. <laughs> they got coming uh in africa including the missionaries it's like what are they doing just destroying cultures like that um on the other hand you know some things are just unarguable quality of life and certain diseases and this and that but so okay so after independence i know there's a couple of name changes and you know uh, there was a union with malawi that became its own state and northern rhodesia and blah 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 anyways once they got independence in 1964 um i know just a couple years after that What's the the UNIP? What is that party? There was it's kind um, of a one party. Uh, would you call them yeah. socialist? What was the deal with yeah. that? Uh, kind of their kind of their own unique state. Um, they weren't like yeah. allies with the Soviet Union, or it wasn't yeah. one of those things. Yes, uh, they kind of went the third way. Apparently, uh, Zambia was very close to Yugoslavia. Yeah. Okay. Yep. With that. What's that? The um, League of Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, Yugoslavia led this, like, lead of non, <laughs> the yeah. third option states. Yeah. Not U.S., not Russian, basically. And there, were de- there was a definite perception that uh, communism did have similarities to to uh, African communalism. I mean, after mm-hmm. a harvest, it's okay. tra- yeah. traditionally after a harvest, the headman takes everyone's har- harvest and separates some of it out for all the disabled people in the village. No, the elders who can no longer feed themselves, and widows and orphans. Yeah, okay. Definitely kind and, of a, yeah, sort of a social network in one way or another, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yes, and they yeah. use, and uh, the government used the copper revenues to, to fund education, health care, and even even subsidize cor- uh, cornmeal. So you could buy, buy several pounds of cornmeal for next to nothing. What it, it actually came out to... Uh, about what it would cost of cornmeal under the subsidies would cost about what it cost just to get ground in my village. I think it was two two quatra for a bag of corn and cost a quatra and a half just to mill it. Um, but the quatra's value changed a lot. That's well, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, interesting. But yeah. it was just called it was just called humanism. I wish I still had my notebook about it, but it got lost on my way back to the states. Oh, but that but eventually. Uh, the co- in the 70s, the copper price collapsed, and the government uh, kept on uh, trying to fund to fund all their initiatives, but they find enough money for it. During the beginning, the UN was it the UNIP. Yeah, uh, are they still so, yeah. around, or was that like completely disbanded? Uh, they're, they're completely gone now. Okay, yeah. Um, they allowed other parties, but they just. But they usually just won because their Kenneth Cohen deal was 
was the independence leader. Uh, but after the copper right. price collapsed, they had to uh, make a stronger effort to stay in power and other parties were banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wikipedia says something a little different, but that's a story I was told in uh, training. I re- that's basically what I read, yeah. Yeah. That some guy basically, I guess it was the, yeah, Kenneth Kounda, whatever. But yeah, then he kind of took over and, you know, defended his, his rule. So... And, and then it was kind of, yeah. I mean, it started in 72, but then it's kind of like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Iron Curtain and all that. It was like until 91. So it's that same sort of yeah. same, same time yeah. span where, yeah. Yeah. And there was chaos for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Peace Corps was not in the country at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, but eventually uh, to, as a way to overthrow Kenneth Kunda, a new constitution was written. That specifically banned uh, anybody whose parents were not born in Zambia from being from being president. So infra- I think we got a kind of idea of like roads and infrastructure, safety. What what? How is it? Uh, how is the economy like right now? The last couple of years is it a is it a place that's growing? Are people investing? Are people leaving? Are people scared? Yeah. Well, while I was there, uh, things were going things were going pretty well for my first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the value of the quacha stayed at about ten quacha to the dollar, but then, but then while I was there, the price of copper suddenly dropped again. Right. Again, so there was noticeable inflation. Uh, everything increased by in price by about thirty-five percent uh, between when I arrived and when I left. Wow. So just the so they're staying afloat because of copper. I mean, that's another. I just read an article actually that was just all about. Um, landlocked country so is that bad you know because landlocked country obviously has a huge disadvantage even just exporting copper um but part of it is is that because they're surrounded it actually uh the the article i was reading was kind of optimistic that well maybe they'll be the hub the economic hub of south africa of like sub-saharan africa not south africa like the whole you know south central africa if they uh, or south, yeah, just anything south of uh, you know, including Congo, basically, if if they could just get their infrastructure in order, um, and then somehow get you know get a an economy where they're importing from all their neighboring lands and trading across. Um, yes. But I felt like there was a lot of optimism there that it wasn't there yeah. today. It was just kind of like, yeah. yeah, this 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 could happen. Yeah. Well, I mean. Uh Minerals are already transported from the DRC uh, through Zambia. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't get, just get refined in Zambia because they're they're a mining country. They have the facilities, but just a pure ore was sent all the way to yeah. South Africa. Refineries is, is another step that a lot yeah. of people don't invest in. Yeah, yeah it's really weird. But yeah, yes, uh, foreign policy wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when Zambia gained independence, uh, all the countries to their south were still had white minority governments in charge. Uh, right. And they made a definite effort to, to aid the independence movements. They, there was an African National Congress base inside of Zambia uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a ZAPU base. Uh, ZAPU were one of two main independence parties in Zimbabwe. Whenever they were exporting copper, they'd have to send it through through South Africa to get to ports. Yep. So they built the entire Tazara rail line, line uh, all the way to, da- to Dar es Salaam in Tanzania to avoid sending minerals to the white south. 
Yeah, with, with Japanese, with uh, Chinese money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, and yes, it was built with Chinese money. Uh, the rail line isn't actually doing too well now. There aren't too many trains going on. They're usually limited to 35 miles an hour. But I would cross the Zara rail line on my way to town. Uh, mm-hmm. And for some reason, one of the shops in my village had welcome to the Zara station written on, even though it was 20 kilometers from the railway. It is, yeah. yeah. Well, close enough. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. So there was a, like an actual concerted effort to like avoid the, the white south kind of and get. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So, and, I mean, part of that is they, you know, because they did try to do that and they I'd say they're pretty successful. I mean, there's yeah, I was reading some articles that are pretty optimistic for a landlocked country, more so than like Botswana. And maybe that's yeah. a mineral wealth kind of issue. I'm not sure. But and uh, while they were supporting uh, the uh, rebels in the uh, apartheid governed countries, uh, they actually did get bombed by Rhodesia once. Mm hmm. Uh, there's a base that got, there's a, a straight up Rhodesian base that got bombed. And then there was a refugee camp in Makushi in my district that got, uh, bombed by Rhodesians. And when that happened, it killed, it killed 19, uh, police officers from the, from my provincial capital. Mm-hmm. And I know that because one of my friends in the village was friends with a few of those police officers. I actually couldn't find any sources online about it, but I got the impression it was in the uh, Rhodesia. late seventies yeah, yeah, okay. or early eighties. That makes sense then. Yeah. I was also told that a song suddenly became big on the radio. Uh, that was saying uh, women in front, basically, if war breaks out, our women will beat the uh, Rhodesians, <laughs> which I can actually easily believe. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when uh, Ian Smith, the uh, president of Rhodesia, heard about that, uh, he got uh, he got so angry that he did order several refugee camps to be bombed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a story I heard. I'm not sure if he was actually angry about the song or not. Yeah, that could be a little bit of urban legend mixed in or something. But yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, well, the capital of Southern Province was Livingston. Uh, right mm-hmm. by Victoria Falls, right on the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has since been changed, and I suspect part of the reason for moving it was so they wouldn't have a provincial capital right on the border in the first place to be invaded should war break out. Yeah, right. Yeah. I even had... But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of my friends in my village was even a former commando who was... First job in the event of war breaking out would be to blow up the bridges across mm-hmm. the river. That, yeah, that'd be a fun guy to talk to, too. Yeah. Uh, and in more recent history, uh, right before I went to Zambia, uh, their president, the uh, the same one who was trying to make his brother paramount chief, mm-hmm. uh, died in office. Uh, and his vice president was actually uh, named Scott. His parents were from Scotland, so he wasn't technically eligible. Right. And there was a protest of about 100 people through the capital against it. Which, of course, in the media was called an enormous riot. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that was made fun of by some of the Peace Corps staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in Athens during the riot. I was, I was sitting, sitting watching the BBC, t- you know, it's like, oh, the, all the homeless and all the graffiti and the violence in the streets. And we're like sitting in a restaurant. We're like the only tourists in Athens because everybody believed the BBC for some reason. But, yeah. 
totally. Um, yeah, I could. Yeah, in Africa, I imagine it's all times ten. Any little newsworthy yeah. event is just not. There's just no accurate information. Is yeah. I mean, I kind of wonder about. You know, I would love to know how they're going to do in the future. Um, how the political parties are doing and all that, you know, if there's reasons for optimism and all that. It sounds like a big chunk is just like, well, let's see how copper does in five years. And so, you know, so I hope they can kind of diversify uh, and figure out other stuff like significantly. Um, Because, yeah, like 35% difference in price over, you know, copper is that's that's significant. So. Oh, I don't. Oh, that was just the regular price of goods. That wasn't the copper price. Well, well, I mean, that's what I, I yeah. mean. The regular yeah. price—that's even more significant, actually. So that the regular price of goods can change thirty-five percent because of anything, because of yeah. any one <laughs> item on this planet, uh, because of the coffee crop. It doesn't matter what it is. That is significant. That's a huge yeah. difference. So that's not like you can't just. So I would never invest in a country like that, knowing that you know it might be a ten percent growth of, of my investment, but I could lose thirty-five percent. For nothing, you know, as soon as I well, because of the exchange rate or something, well, it wouldn't have quite worked out like that. Well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the exchange rate started at seven to one when I arrived. At uh-huh. some point, went up to fourteen to one. Was most of the time about ten to one. Yeah, uh, but in two and a half and, years, that's a hundred percent inflation. That's not yeah. nothing. Like, well, well so you, up, you just do a lot of went down. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is you start doing business in dollars, and you know, there's all kinds of other stuff you do. But that's if that. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of that, that scares off a lot of people. I mean, for sure. And so. doing business just in dollars in Zambia for expensive things is definitely a thing. Yeah. But, uh, there was a. There was a transformer station that got hit by lightning, uh, mm-hmm. and everyone was just saying, "Yeah, it's going to cost a million dollars to fix it." No one even bothered to say what it'd be in Quantra. Like, mm-hmm. You can buy old Zimbabwean bills for U.S. dollars as a novelty item. Exactly. Say, yep. Souvenir. Yes. Yes. A trillion dollar, a trillion Zimbabwean dollar bill when they finally abandoned their currency was worth about fifteen bucks. Yep. I got I got billions of Reichmarks, hundreds of millions. Yeah, uh, yeah one bill that's a hundred million Reichsmark. Yeah, from the inflation money in the twenties, thirties. Yeah. Yep. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. Boy, it sounds like I would love to travel to Zambia, kind of yeah. go through the different yes. regions. Um. Yes, uh, Victoria Falls is a very nice place to visit. Definitely, um, I'd love to see that. Yeah. If you want, if you want a more remote place, there's Capicha Hot Springs. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Actual hot springs. Mm-hmm. In a very nice resort that's also quite affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there when Trump got elected. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'll let I'll let you guess how that affected our vacation. Well, did they even locals didn't care at all? Did they? Did they? Oh, they cared. Zambians okay. definitely cared. Um, I actually okay. had to spend yeah. most of my last few months in Zambia explaining how the electoral college system worked. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, but yeah, yeah. You're like, wait a minute, how is this? He lost by three million, but he won. Yeah. Who's the yeah, corrupt and, country? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and there definitely were people in my village who were who did not like hit Trump and were afraid of what he was going to do. That's interesting because I, I a lot of Czechs just did not care. It's like, oh, you got Devil One and Devil Two. You guys are idiot, you know. And I was like, no, no, no. One's actually way worse than the other. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, uh, you know. I was like just like no understanding of who the people were really so you know 
Now I think they get it. <laughs> no, and I mean, it's... since English is widely spoken in Zambia, they yeah. they'll catch American media a lot better. I suppose so. Yeah, there might even be more of a tradition of listening to the news in English, kind of in the cities and stuff. Yeah. So. And and people listen to Voice of America and the BBC all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See. Yeah. That's that. That's probably a difference. Like Czechs really, they listen to the Czech local news a lot more, and yeah. Yeah. They might. And just, even though. Yeah. Yeah. And even a lot of Zambian media is in is in English. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. I'll have to. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, and if you ever do go to Zambia and don't just go to Livingston, uh, I'd recommend going to the Mannheim Museum in Northern Province. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I never got to visit it, but I hear they have a lot of very interesting stuff. Like what? What are what kind of collections uh, do they have? Is it more? Oh, I just heard they have a lot of good information. I have no idea what any of oh, it is. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I love history. I was like, even, even I would, you know, I would go to a copper mining museum and, you know, just yeah. like, how do they do it? How's it different? How's yeah. it? Um, yeah. And so. there is actually a museum in Livingston. There's been a copper trade across Zambia all the way to southern province, hundreds mm-hmm. of miles from the mines for centuries. Uh, there's mm-hmm. okay. copper, copper objects that are dug up fairly often. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned the Belgians already had an idea that it existed, so that's why yeah. they showed up like that. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of um, yeah. That's that's why I lived. That's why I would travel within a mile of the Congo. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Th- yeah, you're right there. Yep. Um, well, great. Okay, so I, I think we'll wrap it up. And uh, yeah, thanks again. And you. do you have anything? Thank you. You, you're not you're not my normal guest on the show. You're not a you're not a podcaster that has stuff to plug or books to plug or nothing but you have do you have any hobbies any somewhere online paintings blogs music yeah. anything like really? you, uh, you have a friends the friends uh, episode uh, website i want to you want to shout out or anything uh, no i don't think so but uh, i am hoping to make my own podcast fairly soon uh, when that happens uh, i'll definitely swing back yes. around and, and give you a shout yeah. out or even uh interview you oh, about yeah. that or something so yeah. definitely that's yeah we great. can do it we can, I can guess on uh, the history of Germany and talk about a yellow fever outbreak in uh, Hamburg. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be interesting, actually. Yeah. Or even, or Raven could too. Yeah, right. From Tiny Vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, your podcast, though, they uh, helped keep me sane in Zambia. Right. <laughs> That's great. Especially, it's... especially uh, Bohemian. Uh, I'm actually of Czech ancestry. Oh, uh, there you go. And Bohemian awesome. helped me. Bohemian can uh, help me connect to it. If you downloaded Bohemian in Zambia, then you were one of our. We were like, who the hell is listening to Czech history? And you know, uh, you know, probably Peace Corps people or so. You know, some, but it's like, who the heck is in like uh, Indonesia? Isn't even you know, but like really weird places. Zambia might have been one. Where it's like, who the heck is listening to Czech history in Zambia? Like that's really well, something. Uh, you know, yeah. But yeah. Well, uh, my counterpart, the uh, ex-commando, I if he had a phone that could download podcasts, I can definitely imagine him downloading Bohem again. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. Actually, this is something to kind of bring up in the whole Peace Corps thing. I, I did, I you know, someone posted, I forget where they, were, maybe Kazakhstan, you know, some rural place in the world, um, and they're asking like, well. Why do you even have a smartphone, or what do you, you know, what do you do? And he's like, actually, there's all these apps where you queue up stuff, including like Reddit posts and whatever. And then when you get to a hot spot, it just downloads everything while you, you know, just without you even know that you're at, you're at a Starbucks or whatever. They had Starbucks in 
Kenya. Yeah. Uh, well, eh, they, I think they had faux Starbucks in Kenya, honestly. Um, maybe in Stonetown or someplace. But uh, yeah, you just go someplace where there's Wi-Fi, McDonald's, I don't know. And, uh, you know, you're just eating your burger and all your stuff gets downloaded. And then you you go back home and you're like, oh, yeah, hey, net, you know, Netflix is there and my Reddit posts are there. And it's really good about like it's meant for that. Um, so yeah, you can actually be pretty rural as long as you come across some hot spots now or then, now and then, or, you know, and, and I could download podcasts inside my village. Um, yeah, just using mobile signals. Yeah. So So it's like, as long as you get them saved up and stored and you got enough storage space, you can listen to podcasts, period. You know, you're good. Yeah. But yes. Uh, but I couldn't actually download about 200 meters in any direction and get a signal, but my house itself did not have a signal. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah take a little walk to yeah re- yeah that works okay well then uh, in that case yeah i think uh, we'll wrap this up here slowly so thanks again benjamin for being on the show and yeah that was a pleasure i like uh adventurous stories and learning about history and geography and all that different yeah. peoples so yeah thanks yeah yep and uh it's never too late to join peace going is that true there's no age yeah. limit yeah, I mean, I'm definitely no too age, old, but for others out no, there, <laughs> there's no age limit. There's only a health limit. Lots of retirees join. Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. Boy, uh, not so a, much. Yeah. Not so much in Zambia, but in countries where you don't need as much muscle power. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of retirees, but I suppose one yeah, of our pro- yeah one of our provincial leaders was a sixty was a sixty something year old retired engineer. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, I. I'm only 35. I'm definitely too old for that crap. I've moved. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm done moving to crazy places on this planet. But, oh, my goodness, I'd love to, you know, even, yeah, you know, if I just could take a sabbatical and had the money to just go do what I want to do and everything, absolutely. Maybe, you know, maybe even Peace Corps would be in the picture because I'd love to spend some time there. That's for sure. Um. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, edit, edit. I got to add in, I don't know what I'm going to put in next episode or whatever. So, uh, say something, say something. And if I have any sponsors or anything, I'll put that in. I'll mention that really quick here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. And then I'll just say, all right. And that, and that wraps it up for this time. And, um, well, yeah, thanks for much for, Thanks so much for listening and watching and whatever, however you find us. Don't forget to subscribe and like us and share and um, all that good stuff. Help us out. Support us any way you can. And um, thanks. You can say goodbye or something Uh, if you want. uh, Hang on. I'm trying to remember what it is in Bimba. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't exactly say see you tomorrow. Well, oh yeah, oh it's but, say yeah. it if you want. You can even but, uh, you can say like say it and then say technically that means see you tomorrow. But hey, you know, yes. or look yeah. it up if you want. Yeah, but that's a, that's, exactly. a, that's a great way. That's a great way to end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't have thought of that for some reason. I did look up Swahili and stuff when I was doing that episode. So. Oh, Bemba's not in Google Translate. Uh, of course not. In fact, that and that's probably the most likely one, so probably none of those are in Google Translate. Yeah.
Except you can't Google stuff in the engine, Bemba. Use Google itself, but you can't translate into it. Uh, I think more uh, say name Kwai. Or, uh, or no. Skype just did something weird. Say it one more time. Okay. Tukumanana? Uh, yeah. What does that mean exactly? Like, see you later? Uh, yeah, Tukumanana Milo will see you tomorrow. Okay. That's, I can't, I can't beat that. We'll end it there. Perfect. Yeah. I'm just looking up, I'm just Googling, uh, Bemba? It's, I didn't spell it right. That'll help. Because it should be, if you just Google, like, yeah, there you go, useful phrases in Bemba, then that should figure, you know, Google Translate might not have it. What is it, what does it say? Let me see. Oh, it's a slow site. Oh, yeah. Shani, Uli Shani. Mwapoleni Mukwai? Mukwai? Mwapoleni Mukwai? Yeah. What does it just... say, Mwapoleni Mukwai? It says hello or general greeting. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. It's like, how are you doing? Is that what that is yeah. already? Or... Oh, yeah. yeah. And then A Mukwai is the reply. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I usually say Mwasha uh, Bikini instead of Mwasani. Okay, yeah. Huh. And then, oh, cheers. Chileshe? What is that? Do you, have you heard that? Chileshe? I have ne literally never heard that in my life. It's like a toast when you're drinking. Like, literally, like, cheers, good health, Chileshe. Yeah. But that's the thing. It might be, you know, in one town, it might be, that might be the thing. Who knows? Yeah. And I didn't, and I didn't drink because drunk Zambians, unless they're well-educated, are not that great to be around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have no idea what to imagine there, but yeah. Oh, you'll meet him. You'll meet him if you come to Zambia, if you're not in Livingston. Yeah, suddenly, yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm already going to cut this, so I'll, I'll hit. I'll make sure I got all the files now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 